Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, your friendly neighborhood, SOT. This is now episode 11 of the podcast entitled uh, Cheap Therapy, which we originally started the podcast to kind of give dudes a really nice outlet uh, to be able to convey their problems and issues in life, but it's kind of transpired into a lot more than that. So uh, today I brought in my very good friend, uh, Chuck Burton, who was a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, I met him pretty when we were pretty close to opening the shop, it wasn't very long after I opened the shop that Chuck came in. He bought a uh, obviously a couple guns and he's bought some suppressors and stuff from me. So from uh, you know our relationship kind of came from you know just him being a customer to obviously now he's one of my close friends. So we decided to bring him on uh, to talk about his journey in the Marine Corps and and when he got out and also uh, he does mortgage lending now. So uh, we brought him in to, to talk about some sort of tips and, and stuff as far as tips and such and what like veterans can do to help protect themselves and, and sort of guide us through that VA home loan process, which I, I personally thought was a pretty daunting thing, but obviously Chuck will probably be able to dumb it down for us. So without further ado, uh, Chuck, Chuck, why don't you go and introduce yourself? Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, Chuck Burton, I guess, once a Marine, always a Marine. And uh, now I do mortgage lending. And uh, yeah, I actually know Keenan for, for quite a while now. Um, actually, Keenan, I, I found you on a Veteran Connection page on Facebook. You had just, um, you're getting ready to open this place. You just you know posted something on there saying, hey guys, Lattle Limits, Gun Shop and Garland, military owned, which caught my attention because, you know, I was, I was wanting a gun guy, you know, a, a gun shop, somebody that I could, I could relate to. And then, you know, of course, when we found out we're Marines, we we rod out and here we are. Nice. Cool, man. Cool. So uh, so basically, why don't you – well, before we get go down that rabbit hole of you, thank you, guest. Um, now I'm going to go on a pretty nice little tangent about this story. So uh, I was telling you before we started, but I figured this would be a really cool story to tell on the podcast. So uh, I went on that high fence hunt. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay. I killed a stag and an angora goat. Did you see those pictures? So I had a great time. Loved it. Uh, the other day we were at, uh, I went to Jared, Jared's apartment. He works for me and he has like a little processing get up. So he was helping me like, you know, cut everything up, get it ready for processing. He wants to make sausage and ground meat and all this other stuff. So I was going to throw away like the femur and, you know, the leg bones and shit like that. Right. And he's like, no, dude, save that shit for the dogs, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I was like, okay, like I've never done that before, but sure. Uh, but they had like chunks of raw meat in it. So I was like, well, no, last time I tried to give them like red meat, they like shit all over themselves yeah, and it was yeah. really gross. He's like, no, dude, just take it and you like boil it, and, you know, like put it in boiling water and you like boil it for 10 minutes and they'll be fine. Cook so out like, the okay. bacteria probably. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I took them out, I boiled them for like 10, 12 minutes or whatever until everything was nice and brown or whatever. And I was like, man, you know, this is something, you know, the, the dogs are going to love it. You know, they're going to love me. This is going to be really sweet. So I gave them each like a, you know, pretty good sized bone. And I mean, dude, they, they eviscerated these things, right? <laughs> Murdered these bones. All there was basically left was, you know, like a, the, the hardened bone, okay. you know? Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, like you're welcome for my service, you know, guys, thank you. Uh, and all this other stuff. Dude, this morning, Janae wakes So Janae normally wakes up like 20 minutes before I do. And uh, she wakes me up and she's like, Keenan, get up. Oh, no. I was like, what's wrong? She's like, the shit. dogs shit all over their kennels. Shit has hit the fan. Oh, yeah. So I was like, ah, this is the perfect way to wake me up in the morning. So literally all morning before I went to the gym, all so, I was doing, I was hosing out shit out of my been, garage. It's been a shitty morning. Yeah, it literally yeah, has. Yeah. That's my last one. Was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pun intended, but it's okay. But yeah, so that's how my morning started. 
And then after that, I went to the gym, like I said, but I did have to, sk I did have to skip my last set. But actually, I wanted to show you. Uh, I was going to tell you, never never cut a set short, especially for me. I could No, it's cool. It's I cool. was posted up in the parking lot. No big deal. So I'm going to show you uh, the – let me turn off Bluetooth because it's probably going to play through my headphones, which I don't even know where they are. Oh, there. Um, so, yeah, so there's this uh, – he's only on YouTube, which is odd. But uh, it's a badass little – like it's a – it's like he does like remixes and shit. Okay. And I first found him off of TikTok. Uh, I did one for some just song. Like some, some workout playlist? Yeah. Well, yes and no. He just does like a bunch of remixes. Okay. It's mostly like country music, but he does a bunch of different other ones. So I'm going to show you my favorite one, but dude, this shit's popping. Like, so this is Alan Jackson's Freight Train. Of course, there's an ad that's going to have to play before it. Because three is All right, one. let's go. Three, two, one. Dude, it goes hard. This is what you work out to. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just came down from Chippewa, had a station wagon. Oh, in a second, it like, it hit. Like, tell me you wouldn't, like, run faster. I mean, I'd run faster because I'd feel like I was in the state of Louisiana. So I <laughs> huh? <laughs> so, so, if you see me in the gym, uh, that's literally it's what a I listen to. Oh, yeah, dude. It's a hoedown. I'm, I'm like, Your workout's a hoedown. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm like, I'm like curling, but like bopping at the same time. <laughs> it's a great time. Oh, boy. It's a great time. So, anyway, I digress from my morning. Um, from my morning. So, uh... So tell us about, so you spent uh, 18 years active duty Marine Corps. So tell me about that. So, Astrid, 15 years active duty and then uh, three years in the reserves. Okay. Uh, trying to, obviously, you know, chasing 20. But, uh, yeah, 15 years in the Marine Corps, active duty, left three weeks after high school. Um, grew up in a small town, Alabama. I mean, very similar story for, you know, a lot of a lot of veterans. Um, grew up in a small town, 2,500 people in a red light. Um Wanted out, wanted a way out, you know, really didn't know how to navigate college my, at the time. My family really didn't understand student loans and, and how all that stuff works. So. Actually, I'm going to pause you, which is funny because my hometown, uh, Henderson, Louisiana, we had a red light. Yeah. But they took it out. So I don't even have a red light. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, fast forward, Google has built a data center in our, my little small town. So now we have two red lights. Nice. Same intersection. Glow up. Same intersection, but for some reason they added a second red light. So uh, that's the change that we've had in 20 plus years. Anyway, so yeah, um, found my way into the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, I think I enlisted my uh, July before my senior year, and I was pretty locked in. Like, that's what we're doing. We're getting after it. Uh, and didn't really look back. Left three weeks, like I said, left three weeks after high school. 9-11 uh, was my actual, my, the start of my crucible. So I was actually already in boot camp. I was actually at the, you know, the, towards the end about to graduate when 9-11 happened. Matter of fact, so how was that? So we thought they were, we, we thought they were making it up. We thought they were just trying to like motivate us, inspire us to, you know, push through the crucible, which is, you know, if, if you don't know the crucible is the, basically the, the last training, uh, and, uh, situation that you go through before you earn the title Marine. And 9-11 was the very first full day of that. And so like they, they, Gathered all of us up and then put us under this, um, you know, those, those, those over the Thunderdomes right. or whatever they yeah. called them. Um, and we're like, what is going on? You know, like, are they, are they just messing with us? But then you start seeing, like, kids get phone calls home, kids, like, coming back, like, pretty upset. Like, uh, I remember seeing, you know, kids crying and everything like this. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? Is this, is this for real? 
And it wasn't actually until after the, you know, we pushed through the crucible, Marine Corps training doesn't stop for nothing. Uh, so we pushed through the crucible. Of course, after you do crucible, you earn the title Marine, you get your warrior breakfast, and then you have, um, that's, was it like a Sunday that you usually have family day? It's the first time you get to see your family. Well, family day got canceled. They're like, no, nobody's allowed on base. We're like, okay, this stuff's real. So what they did was they allowed us to have like a couple of hours of, um, Liberty on Paris Island. Uh, which for us that we went straight to the commissary and straight to all the nasty places to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I remember going over, we walked over to the commissary because I was the third battalion raised by wolves. Yeah. Um, walked over to the commissary and bought a newspaper. And on the front of the newspaper was the picture of, you know, the World Trade Center and the, and the plane hitting the building. And I was like, wow, this is real. Yeah. Um, but I was 18 years old, man. I don't, I don't think I had any clue how much that event was about to change my life. Um, but it was something else. So either way, you know, obviously you, you take it one shot after the other, went to, um, graduated, uh, boot camp, went to ITB out in Geiger, uh, graduated 0331, went to, uh, Bravo one, two was my first stop. Um, spent a couple of years at Bravo one, two actually deployed in 03, the initial push to Iraq with, uh, with one, two, um, came back from that pushed over, to uh, six Marines, uh, ended up going back to uh, Iraq again in 0405 through uh, Ramadi, Aruba, uh, a couple areas like that, running patrols, combat security. Uh, came back, actually stayed on at six Marines uh, because I got uh, hand selected to be the Colonel's PSD uh, for your protective service detail. So I went back with RCT six for for 13 months. This was all of 2007, back to Fallujah. Uh, we were there for, for over a year and took the colonel, you know, wherever he wanted to go. That was probably my, my that was by far my most uh, active deployment. Um, after that, came back, thought I was going to drop a package to go Marsoc, wanted to be one of those cool guys, uh, thought I could keep up. Actually got hursted, um, which if you don't know what that means, basically I, uh, when I got back from that, I got put through a, uh, a list that says, the Marine Corps says, basically, you're either going DI or you're going recruiting. Recruiter. Luckily, the Marine Corps chose sales instead of yelling for me, uh, which worked out phenomenal. Uh, went recruiting, uh, recruited out of Stillwater, Oklahoma for about three years. Uh, actually, really enjoyed it. Hated it, fought it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to be there, wanted to deploy. And know, that's, where met, that's where you met the uh, tank, right? Yeah, that's where yeah. I rented, that's where, that's where uh, yeah, me and Tate um, recruited together out of Oklahoma. Um, did enlisted for the first 15 months, and then the last 18 months of the contract, I uh, I got to recruit officers. So I covered, you know, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, OU, um, you know, all those fun schools. Either way, different. When that was over, is it everything in the Marine Corps is a three-year deal? Uh, basically, it was like, hey, look, at that point, I'd been on staff sergeant. Uh, I'd been in the Marine Corps nine years, somewhere right around eight, nine years. And uh, my fear was that I was going to miss out on Afghan because I hadn't been to Afghan yet. I'd only been to Iraq three times, uh, but I haven't deployed to Afghanistan. I did not want to be, you know, an 0369, which is an infantry platoon storm, um, a, a senior staff and CO in the 03 community and never had been to Afghanistan. That was a fear of mine. Uh, so I called up the monitors, like, hey, look. Did my, did my time successful tour actually had a lot of success recruiting, thankfully. Um, he's like, all right, where you want to go? I said, who, who, who's, who's out, who's out the door next. And, uh, he's like, you know, actually we're, we're trying something new. Um, we're putting a couple of 31s in the LAR community because they've had about three deployments in, uh, back to back to back 
to where they've had a lot of NDs, a lot of negative discharges with open boat weapon systems. So we're going to try and see if we can't implement a couple of, you know, establish the 0331s. Subject matter uh, experts to. Exactly. See if we can't combat this issue. So push me out to third LER. Um, actually did three. So I, I had went to third LER, got on the ground within, within eight months, we deployed to Afghan, uh, which was my first time going to Afghan. Uh, worked out great, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, cool experience, you know, just being around those guys. Um, you know, thirteens, even though they don't walk, they're they're good people. They're good yeah. dudes. <laughs> and we, I, I, at that age and that time, I, I kind of appreciated the ride. Uh, either way, so get back with them. Um, get back from Afghan for my first trip. Started freaking out again because now I'm, you know, I'm kind of starting to climb up into my career. Uh, felt like I was going to get away from what I love, which was, you know, being with the Marines, being on the ground, you know, doing fun stuff. Did not want to be stuck in an office or a desk or, or anything like that. So uh, actually look, I did another B-Billet, went uh, security forces, went out to security forces, uh, figured I, I was probably going to be my last opportunity to have Marines um, and, 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 you know, to, to be in that, that environment. Got on the, got on deck in uh, Marine Corps security forces regiment, uh, went through, t- uh, you know, Tico training company and all that stuff. Uh, had a lot of fun out there. Uh, they were talking about making me a CQB instructor. I actually fought that. I was like, no, not what I came here to do. Yeah. Love it. But, um, you know, I, I came here to, to, to keep, keep moving. I mean, you gotta, I, I know you know this at, at that time, you know, I've been in Marine Corps since 2001. Uh, my first deployment was 03. So I deployed 03, deployed again, 0405, deployed all of, all of 07. Um, we're recruiting for a few years, had a few, three year break back to Afghan in 12, uh, now we're talking now, now we're 2013, 2014. I mean, I was used to life a hundred miles an hour, um, uh, and didn't really want to let up. So went security forces, got out there, pushed out to, um, it used to be, so it used to be fast. It used to be like, um, you know, they used to call it fast companies. What do they call them? I can't remember. Anyway, they changed them. So it's like Charlie, we changed them to Charlie Fast, Alpha Fast, Bravo Fast. Charlie Fast was uh, Law Force Cent, Marine Corps uh, Security Forces Central, which was out of uh, Bahrain. Went out to Bahrain, sat out there for a while. Uh, actually went out there a couple of times, just basically just sitting, sitting, standing by. Um, I don't know if you guys, if you remember, but so right around September 2014, uh, which was, uh, what, two years after the Benghazi stuff mm-hmm. or a year or so, maybe it was like a year or so. Uh, either way, they had a similar type situation that they thought was going to happen to the uh, Baghdad embassy. Um, so we actually deployed up there, sat there for 90 days, basically doing nothing, just waiting on nothing to happen. Um, came back from that, back to uh, back to the stateside, and started going through some rough stuff in my personal life. Uh, I was married at the time. I was mar- been married since I was 19. Marine Corps makes you grow fast. Had a kid the day I turned 20. Me and my kid are 20, 20, day, uh, 20 years apart. Um, and so stuff started really falling apart. Um, I, you know, from, from me being gone and constantly deployed or con- like, even when you're not deployed, like you're still doing workups, training, stuff like that. So you're right. still not home. So, um, everything was falling apart and it kind of freaked me out and I was like, okay, maybe it's time to look at doing something else. Okay. Um, started going through stuff I wasn't used to going through, uh, you know, so I kind of seeing my marriage fall apart and, um, and my kid, my kid at the time was what, 12, 13 years old, and just started looking back on everything I missed. I missed my kid being born. I missed a lot of him, like, growing up, a lot of school events, you know, football, sports, stuff like that. 
really started getting at me. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's time that that we refocus our priorities. This is not all about Chuck. Um, maybe it's time to go home. Maybe it's time to walk away from this stuff. Go back home, regroup, get back to family. Because uh, my wife at the time, like we grew up together. I mean, we, we've known each other since you know, fifth, sixth grade. I mean, typical small town Alabama stuff. Go back home and get out of the Marine Corps and let that go. And six months later, file for divorce. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So uh, life shifted a lot. I mean, honestly. I mean, so with that being said, so you basically got out of the Marine Corps after doing 15 years mm-hmm. to try to salvage your marriage. Yeah. And it didn't work anyway. So do you yeah, regret it? I did for a while, but where I'm at now, I don't. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I did for a while. Um, you know, my first... My first year out of the Marine Corps, I remember June 25th, 2016, I was, I was divorced. Um, I had my kid, you know, every other weekend. Uh, I was living in a bedroom at my mom's house back in my small town of Alabama. Um, you know, my brother had his life going on. My mom had her life going on and stuff like that. Uh, I was working, I was building high voltage power lines. And uh, so Monday through Thursday, I was gone. I was in a hotel either in Mississippi or Tennessee or driving all over, you know, the Southeast working on power lines. Um, you know, pretty often you'd have extended you know, work overtime over the weekends and, and stuff like that. So when I was home, I was like, you know, wanted to hang out, hadn't been home in 15, 18 years and trying to find a way to fit in. Didn't really, didn't really fit, fit in, back yeah. in, you know? Uh, so I got really depressed, man. I started looking at my life and I was like, okay, everything that I've done, everything I've accomplished up to this point, this is where I'm at. And this is not what I had vision for life for me, um, which kind of rolled into what I do now. I had a, uh, a Marine captain that uh, him and I were um, very close, really good friends. As a matter of fact, he had had his first baby three days ago. Um, Anyway, so him and I, we, uh, we deployed to Afghan, uh, built a pretty good relationship uh, with each other and stayed in contact, even though we kind of went separate ways after that deployment, stayed in contact. He gets, this guy hits me up out of nowhere and says, hey, man, what do you think about Dallas? I said, right now, Dallas sounds phenomenal. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing is keeping me here. So uh, he's like, hey, you know what? I think I got something for you. I think something to be really good at. Um, if you're serious, send me a resume. But I want you to know. This is something that could move pretty fast. Like if, if if everything sounds right, like this is something that we would move on pretty quickly. I was like, don't, do don't tell me what a good time. Sunday night, I sent him my resume. Tuesday, uh, I got a phone call from his uh, regional branch manager and was like, hey, John says this and this and that. I already love what I hear. You Marines, like you guys have no chill. I think you'd be great in this industry. How fast can I get you to Dallas? You have, to, I know you can, <laughs> re- yeah, you can relate to this. At this point in my life, I've grown up in Alabama, and then I've spent the last 15 years in the Marine Corps, and now I'm back home in Alabama building power lines. This guy's like, how fast can you get to Dallas? So I'm thinking, I mean, I work four tens. You know, give me two weeks at least to book a flight so it's not outrageously expensive. He's like, no, no, no. You work four tens. That means you're off this Thursday. I said, like, yeah, correct. He said, okay, I'm going to put you on the phone with this lady, this, uh, this lady named Amy. Uh, she's going to get you a flight out here. We're going to set you up in a hotel. Do you need a car? We'll get you a car. I'm like, I don't think I need a car. Uh, he's like, okay, cool. So uh, we're going to get you set up. This, I'll see you this Friday. We'll do your interview. I'm like, what is going on right now? Yeah. What's going on? So I get on the phone with this lady named Amy and Amy gets all my personal information, sets me up a flight and flies me out to Dallas puts me in a hotel room and okay, wow, this is different. Uh, so yeah, I did my interview. It was uh, actually uh, Cinco de Mayo. This was 2017. 
and uh, walked through it, saw all these guys doing, you know, these, this, this crazy mortgage stuff. At this time, I, I mean, I'd lived on base housing. I didn't even know how to buy a house. Couldn't tell you the first thing about buying a house. And uh, came there, interviewed, which the interview was different. It was just nothing what I expected. Come back home. My mom's a loan officer. My mom's been a loan officer at my little, in my small town in Alabama for like 20 plus years. I come back home and I'm telling my mom, she's like, you're an idiot. You're stupid. <laughs> Why would you leave TVA? Um, TVA is a company I was working for building the power lines. They, they, they control all the power for all the Southeast. Um, there's a, there's a pretty famous song. You've probably heard it says daddy got a job at the TVA, yeah, yeah. bought a washing machine and a Chevrolet. I mean, you got life made. Yeah. If you get hired on at TVA, you don't leave. I'm a, I, at the time I was, you know, I was a veteran. Um, I don't think I had a disability yet, but either way, I was a veteran. Uh, you know, TVA is very union driven. They're like, no, you don't understand. Like you can literally never get fired. You, you, you've, all you have to do is just, Coast. just make it. Yeah. And I don't, this is that, that drive in me, that, that stuff in the back of my mind that just told me, I think there's more to life. I think there's more for me. I think there's more than I can do. At the same time, also, the other thing I was thinking about was like, at the time, I think I was what, 32, 33 years old. And I was like, man, I've been, I've been blowing and going for a long time. And now I'm building power lines, um, which I mean, that that's good work. That's tough work. Yeah. God bless those guys. I couldn't do it right now. And I was like, man, if I keep this up, you know, at 50 years old, my body may fall apart. I don't know. You know, <laughs> and that was some of the fears that was in the back of my mind. But maybe, maybe it is time to shift and, and, and use the, use the upstairs instead of the downstairs, you know, use the brains instead of the legs. Um, so I, I took a shot. I was like, I, I, I honestly believe, and I've always felt like this, you take a successful NCO, non-commissioned officer in the Marine Corps, or you take a successful staff NCO in the Marine Corps, you can put them in just about any career and I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe within six months to a year, that Marine will find a way to be successful because of the foundation, because of the stuff that, the, the, you know, of how we mold Marines. And I mean, for example, I spent seven years, nothing but pulling the trigger, leading Marines and deploying. And then the Marine Corps said, go recruit. Now, I'm in Stillwater, Oklahoma. There's not another active duty Marine for a hundred miles. Right. And that Marine's a recruiter, <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, all these high schools all over this area, driving around, you know, talking to these 17, 18 year old kids, talking to parents, talking to teachers, guidance counselors, you know, talking at, at graduations and award ceremonies. That's a shift. It's a massive mental shift, but then you adjust. And you figure it out and you find a way to be successful in that. And then that's three years, three years from the, we call it three years from the flagpole, right? Cause you're not near the base. Yeah. Then you go back and within eight months, I'm back doing workups, getting ready with a unit to go back to Afghanistan to put rounds down range and win hearts and minds. What you don't realize at the time as a Marine, you're just focused on the mission. This is what we're doing. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. We're going to be successful because failure is not an option. What you don't know is that you're learning how to overcome adversity, how to shift, how to mold yourself to different situations, how to just adjust to whatever it needs to be for you to find success. Because ultimately, that's what matters. No matter what object you put me in, I have to figure out how to be successful. 
And that failure, that fear of failure, is, I think is what always drove me. I think that's what drives a lot of Marines. So either way, nothing about that. Get in the mortgage industry. Um, but but before we get into that, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of it has to do with, you know, like as a Marine, you're always taught to like almost like overextend. Like whatever the mission is, right, we need to do 10, 15% better, right? You know, it's like the whole like we go to a range. Let's say we, we borrowed an Army's range or whatever to run it. You know, we always leave it better than the way we found it sort right. of mindset. Right. And I think that has a lot to do with the Marine Corps in general and like dudes. Okay, so it's it's a lot like like college players at LSU are like mediocre where they're in, when they're in college, like they're pretty decent when they're in college and then they leave, they go to the NFL and then they shine because they have like actual coaches, right? Makes sense. So, and it's kind of like that in the Marine Corps, you know, like we're in the Marine Corps, we're, we're taught to do better, but then we're almost like taught to coast as well. Just, okay, get through it. You know, most dudes just want to, you know, get in, get out sort of mindset. Right. And then when we get out, we've taken what we learn and we absolutely run with it and we shine and we become successful, whether it be in a, in a new job or an industry or an entrepreneurial journey or whatever. So it's kind of like when I, my decision, when I decided to get out of the Marine Corps was a little bit different than the reason why you decided to get out of the Marine Corps. And for me, it did have a lot to do with me being gone constantly because my reserve unit was in Louisiana. So yes, for a three day drill weekend, sure it was three days, but it was actually, I was gone like five, right. you know, cause I had to fly travel in and, down, yeah, in the tra- yeah, and all that other stuff. And so I was missing a lot, but also when I, I worked in the oil field for like two and a half years, I made great money. I learned so much, learned a lot about working with my hands and tools and hydraulics, pneumatics, you know, maintenance on things. And I I did learn a lot and that was great for me, but I plateaued where I was. I knew I would never become a supervisor. I had no inkling. I never wanted to be that. I didn't want to be in cold tubing for 30 years of my life. Like that shit sucks. It's not a fun job. Now I learned a lot and I credit a lot of what I know now, like my buddy Tyler got me on there. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity. Uh, but I ended up getting laid off, which I plan on going back to college in September. Oh, shit. Uh, September of 17, I think. Yes. I got laid off in October of 16. So it was about a year wow. that kind of like fucked me because I want, you know what I mean? Like if I would have got, because I plan on dipping out probably around like March. That way I can enjoy the summer, relax. I'd find me like a little part-time gig to do something, whatever, what, you know, before I went back to college. And um, I wanted to get out of the oil field more than anything just because of how much I missed. And at first I didn't realize it was that much. I'm sure a lot like you, you know, you're like, man, you're like, I'm having He's a great going. time. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing my thing. I'm providing for my family, you know, right. yada, 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 yada. And then dude, it really hit me because Phoebe was young. Uh, Phoebe was young when I worked at CPAC because Janae was actually pregnant when I, when I started with them. So I worked, you know, whatever. And I mean, obviously she was a little daddy's girl, not anymore, uh, but at the time she was a daddy's girl and, uh, dude, it really fucked me up because I came home. I was gone for like, I don't even know, man. I think I was gone for like three weeks. I came back for like a day and a half and then I was gone again for another like three weeks or whatever. So I was gone for like a month and a half. Uh, and I didn't really get to spend much time with her during that day and a half or whatever. So when I came back, dude, she looked at me and was like, who, who's this dude? 
And that really hit me hard. Right. Because I was like, what am I working for? Like what I'm I'm working so hard to provide for the family that I don't even get to see. Oh yeah. And like when I came home and she kind of like looked at me and like lit, I went to pick her up and like she wanted to get down. Like, <laughs> she, like she didn't want me to hold yeah. her or whatever. And that kind of fucked me up. So after that, like I told Janae, I was like, okay, like I, I think it's time. I, because it starts, I it, it starts costing you more than you're willing to pay. Right. And I mean that too. Like, I mean, me and Janae were like constantly fighting because I wasn't, I wasn't home to help her or whatever. And I mean, she had to take care of two kids by herself right. in the house and the dog and I mean, I put so much weight on her. Yeah, sure. She didn't have a job. Well, she got to take care of the home front. Right. Because you need to know the home front's okay for you to be. And she was in college yeah. too. So, I mean, that's that, that's, that it was a lot for her, which is a big reason why I wanted to get out of it or whatever. So, it can kind of sort of correlate to yeah. to your reasoning a little. Um, but, but as far as getting out the Marine Corps for me, the deciding factor for me was um, – well, one, the travel, right? Because I had already moved to Texas. I took a job out here and everything. So I told my, I told my XO, I, you know, told my company Gunny or whatever, like, hey, like this is what I did or, you know, this is what I'm sort of doing. Here's the stipulations for me to stay in, uh, which at the time I was put up for meritorious staff. So I told him, I was like, listen, you know, I don't think I'm ready to be a staff sergeant, but if you think I'm ready, hey, you know, like obviously the Marine Corps, if they think I'm ready, I'm ready, right? Right. Uh, so I was like, but listen, I just, and I was like, please don't take this the wrong way. I don't want you to, consider this as like some sort of bribe or whatever, but like, I just want you to know that that's the deciding factor for me if I'm going to get out or not. Gotcha. Because one, at the time, um, sergeants didn't rate travel pay, which is funny because now that I'm out, they do. Yeah. So an E5 does. Uh, but at the time, only a PME complete E6 did. So not only would I have to get E6, but I'd also have to go to staff You've academy. you in a pocket. Yeah. To go to so, drill. Exactly. So basically, pays on a lot. Right, exactly. So yeah. basically, I would be paying... I would pay for my flight and then reimburse myself for the drill pay. So essentially I'm like breaking even, if not losing money. Just go play Marines. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, it's just not worth it. It's not feasible for me. And then plus two, I wanted to get a sleeve tattoo. So, which of course, both <laughs> of the reasons. things are now. Yeah. Both, are both okay. of them are, both of them are cool now. So they're like, you know what? Keenan got out because of this, which I would like to think. That's why they changed it. That I, yeah, I had something to do with that. We can't, we've got to stop losing good Marines. Right. And so, policy. but I told him, I was like, listen, so the deciding factor for me is going to be, uh, if I get, meritorious e6 and um my sergeant major was like no i'm telling you like you're a shoe in you're gonna get it yada 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 all this other stuff um which dude the dude they put me up against the dude who actually ended up getting it dude had a bronze star i'm oh, like yeah. okay I know how this. like I, I, it's funny we have a very similar situation um i was gonna ask because I did three years in reserves i, I really don't talk a lot about it because i don't know a lot about it i just did three years in reserves there's not a whole lot of meritorious staff and you know staff sergeant allocations in the Marine Corps. I mean, those are very tough to, to get. So I I mean, this is me asking. Well, in the entire 3500 field, so I was Motor T. Okay. Right. Uh, well, I was a grunt. I I uh, I moved to Motor T when they they had a it's called a fizz rig, which basically like is in I think it was 2013. Obama did this big like sequestration thing, downsizing the Marine Corps, yep. or whatever. And there was yep. actually big talks in Congress about just disbanding the Marine Corps entirely, and basically turn you know putting the Marines into the Army or whatever, whatever. whatever. Two yeah. ten, two. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. Well, compared to what it has been historically, it was sustainable. Huge. Yeah, because typically you figure we were we, we average between one seventy one eighty is usually where the Marine Corps was. We'd plushed up to about because uh, it, it was the two. What was it? 
210 by 2K10 or something like that. Yeah, it was huge. Something along those lines. It was huge well, compared to what it was. So basically, beef the numbers up. So they, they were downsizing all kind of yeah. stuff. So my reserve unit, we were a 323. We were a weapons company, mm-hmm. which we had nothing but grunts, like physically nothing but grunts, right? Yep. We had an we had an entire you know mortar platoon. We had a whole machine gun platoon. We had like an HNS oversized section, I guess you can say. That's where all your fat buddies are. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> So this Fizrig dude, this, this people came down as a bunch of like master guns and chief warrant officers and all this other shit. And they're sitting there and they're talking to us all in this room or whatever. And they're like, Hey, like just to kind of let you guys know the Lafayette reserve unit is going away. So that's not going to be an option. So basically here's your two options. 323 weapons company is moving to, um, I think it was like California. And so they were like, well, basically this unit that's in Baton Rouge is not going to go away, but it's changing. So we're going to go from 323 Weapons Company to 23rd Marine Truck Company Detachment. So essentially you have two options. Well, three options. One, you lat move. Yeah. You lat move to Motor T and we'll allow you, you know, the, 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 will, the, the king will basically allow you to stay in the Marine Corps. There you go. Right. That's option one. Option two is you can stay as an 03 and push brooms for the remainder of your your enlistment. Gotta love that. Right. Uh, but at the end of that enlistment, you'll either have to go to a different unit or get out. Right. You won't be able to stay here. You'll be, uh, it's called excess. Well, there's no line. Right. There's no, yeah, there's no, bill- there's no billet. There's yeah. no billets or whatever. No basically, line and then also they said, basically, if you're here, you're, you're unpromotable, right? Because you're not going to hold a BIC. So essentially yeah. you, you, that's it for you. You're not doing your job. So, um, okay. And then they said the third option is basically, this was like in June or July. And they basically said, okay, basically after the Marine Corps ball in November, you can pop smoke. No strings attached will allow you to get out the Marine Corps. No strings attached, which obviously you tell that to a bunch of reservist grunts who hate going to drill. Oh yeah. And most of the dudes that I drilled with, I mean, they were all working in the oil field, but this is when the oil field was pretty booming and everything. So they were making tons of money. They were perfectly fine with just popping smoke and getting out. So literally, dude, from the back of the room, which was really funny because I was standing in the back of the room. Uh, I chose to lap move because I was obviously a junior Marine at the time. Uh, I had been in for like two years. I didn't know if I wanted to re-enlist yet. I just knew that I wanted the option when the time came. So I chose the lap move, um, which I ended up, I did end up re-enlisting, but, um, it was really funny because from the back of the room, the fizz rig people were like, okay, like after the, you know, they gave a little spiel or whatever, which was really weird because it was like, they were recruiters, but they were almost pushing us to get out. Right. So it's like, God, it was, it was a really weird vibe. And so then basically they were like, all right, just show of hands, like who's interested in lap moving, which I didn't raise my hand the first time. Uh, but it was really funny because from the back of the room, there's like 140 dudes in this room. And like three hands go up. <laughs> I was going to say five. <laughs> yeah. So it was really funny from the back of the room looking at it or whatever. But um, that was that was sort of a deciding factor for me at that time because I was like, well, no, like I kind of want a lap move, right? I kind of – I think I want to. So I ended up lap moving to Motor T. That's the story of me lap moving and the reasoning why and everything. But anyway, so back to your original question about um, meritorious promotions. Yeah. In the entire 3,500 field – Okay, there is one meritorious E6 promotion per year in all of 3,500 field. But I'm not competing with just mechanics. I'm competing with operators as well. Right. You know, maintainers. I'm competing with everyone who MOS starts with 35XX. Yeah, those are my thoughts. My thoughts were there's 
probably not a lot, whole lot of allocations for that. Yeah, I think so, active duty there's like three or four. Yeah, there's active reserves. There's one, and then uh, reserves there's one, which I end up having to re-enlist. Was it a physical board or was it just a uh, book review? No, it was a physical board. Nice. Yeah, so I had to go down to Marfa Res or whatever, and yeah. you know all that fun stuff. You know, be all prim and proper or whatever. But like we were sitting in the room or whatever, which at the time I think I had like four ribbons because I never deployed. Right. So it's funny listening to you and your kind of backstory in the Marine Corps and how mine's so vastly different. All right. Because I kind of joined like peacetime Marine Corps, and when you joined, obviously you know nine eleven happened and everything. You got to actually kick indoors and all that other stuff, which is awesome, and I I wanted that. But I guess it just wasn't in the cards for me. And so, uh, but I was sitting in the room, uh, you know, like getting ready to do the board and everything or whatever, uh, you know, getting ready to go in front of Sergeant Major and have him ask me all kind of weird questions. Right. And, you know, what's your fucking 75th general order? And my God, dude, nobody knows that shit, you know. Um, but the dude who ended up winning, like I said, I think I think he had a bronze star. I could be wrong, uh, but dude, this dude's stack was like amazing. I was like, oh, he's, he's yeah, definitely going to get guy. it, you know. <laughs> Which I think uh, PFT scores Save mine are some better. Medals for the rest of us. Yeah, PFT scores mine were I think a little bit better. I had like a like mid two eighties, I want to say. Okay. Um, obviously, the run this would fuck me. My tiny little legs, you know. <laughs> like I think at the time, I mean, I was obviously in really good shape leading up to it because I, I wanted it. Uh, I want to say I was running like some like nineteen some trash like right. that, nineteen minutes some some odd seconds or whatever, which I've never broken. Eighteen. Yeah, I've never broken eighteen. Never. Uh, but that 19, that was like true story. Yeah. Cause you know me, you know me yeah. now and, uh, I'm 230 pounds. When I came in the Marine Corps, I was only about 150 pounds. Damn. Um, you know, obviously growing up in Alabama, football is life. Uh, so I, I was actually in really good shape. Plus I was, I was freaked out. Speaking I was of, freaked Speaking out. of that, uh, roll not, tide. Yeah, let's, God bless my boys. They fought it and they had a chance and for that I'm thankful. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know. To be yeah. on the other side, I don't. I, I I pray I never know what it's like to lose to the same team for fifteen years in yeah. a row. Enjoy. But dude, that Tennessee quarterback is good. Yeah, he's he's, 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 he's lights he's out. Good. He was lights out. I don't know at what point because apparently the game's over and we still didn't figure it out that we were supposed to uh, actually cover that other guy, number eleven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a pretty good ball player and he's pretty fast. Yeah. But um, either way, hats off to him. Three hundred sixty-three days left. Enjoy it. Um, so football is a big deal in Alabama, and I was freaked out because at the time, at the time, like I love football, I love sports, so I was always like actively involved, but I didn't have a whole lot of talent. I just had a whole lot of heart, you know, and that was, I mean, that was it for me. That was that was it. But I'd never really been in situations where like I, I shined or stood out, you know. So at seventeen years old, I was so scared of going to boot camp and not making it or or being average. Because you think Marines at 17 years old, I thought Marines were like, they're invincible. They're unstoppable. They're like superheroes. So I freaked myself out and went to like this overdrive training mode like my coaches let me do, um, like, you know, the, the, the off-season training with, with, the, with the team and, and everything like that. Like really helped get me prepared to go to boot camp. I actually went to boot camp. I ran a 1651 three-mile in boot camp. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. God yeah. damn it. Uh, yeah. I, um, I, was, I was freaked out. Uh, and, and I get there, and then I actually, like, I did really well. I graduated uh, number three. Um, I graduated with, with, you know, the honor blues and, and all that other stuff. So that was my first time finding success, you know, in, in some type of team, group, organization, whatever like that, um, from, a, from a physical standpoint. And – I don't know. From there, it was like 
I just like, this, this is God's plan. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, and like, you know, going like looking back at my career, I mean, it's literally exactly how it was to the point to where recruiting, like I didn't have to put a whole lot of effort in recruiting and I was very successful. And the reason being was because like at that point, I literally bought into the Marine concept, you know, like lead from the front, physically top notch, know your job, be a leader, be a role model, be a positive influence, you know, the, the discipline, the drive, like everything that people think of, like when they say Marines are brainwashed, 100%. And right now I'm about 70% because I've been out too long. But yeah. at that time in my life, like I completely bought in to whatever it took to be the perfect Marine. Um, and you were talking about something earlier, you know, when we were transitioning, talking about just that, that, that drive, that instinct in Marines, why Marines want to overachieve is because, you know, I had a really, really great Marine that, that taught me everything I know about being a Marine Corps. Um, and unfortunately he passed away about a month ago. Um, I actually just got back from his memorial service. He said, there are two types of Marines in the Marine Corps. Marines that live off the legend and Marines that add to the legend. And you know what the badass thing about it is? You get to make the choice every day. Every day you wake up, you get to decide what type of Marine are you going to be. And that has stuck with me till this day. So even in mortgage lending, even as you know, a husband, a father, a friend, a brother, whatever it is, I'm going to add to the legend. I'm not going to live off of it. I'm, go- I'm going to, to strive to, to succeed in whatever it is. And I think we as Marines, especially successful Marines, you know, look at your path, look where you're at now, you know, set up this gun shop. It's, it's booming. You're talking about opening up another one, which is phenomenal. And it just shows like your, your dedication. And even though we do have a different background and we have different, different paths on how we got to, you know, to where we stand here today, those same same values still sunk in, you know? Um, So you still, you still got what you needed. If you didn't get, you know, the deployments, the gunfights, the cool stories, the T-shirt, and the drinking problem. <laughs> oh no, I have that. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's I, all like you, a piece of gear. You, you still, you still got the, the overall idea right. and, and and benefits from from being a marine. Um, and it's funny that you brought up the whole like add to the legend versus kind of just like living off of it sort of mindset because that's interesting because there's so many dudes who get out of the Marine Corps, who hated it, Yeah. right? And I mean, that's common, right? A lot of people. So like actually the next two people that I'm having on, my buddy Wesley, he's now a lieutenant. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure he's a lieutenant. I don't know if he's a second or first. He might even be a captain now. I don't know. But he's in the National Guard now. Okay. And then another really close friend of mine, Chase Turner, he's a staff sergeant. I don't think he's a sergeant first class yet, but he got out of the Marine Corps. He was my company gunny. Okay. Got out of the Marine Corps as an E6 went to now he's active duty, uh, national guard and he's a recruiter. So it's funny. Cause I'm really want to talk to them about how, you know, it's like the, what I was talking Any about earlier. Yeah. yeah. Well that, and like I was talking to you earlier, how like you have dudes who are like mediocre in college, they get out of college, they go to the pros and they shine. Right. You have a lot of that in the Marine Corps as well. Yep. You have dudes who in the Marine Corps, they're phenomenal, right? But let's say they, you know, they're, they're, they don't fit in the right sort of click. Yeah. So they're treated like shit 
they get super disgruntled, they get out, they join the army or some other branch, and they take over the world. Like, I had a really good friend of mine, Tilford Black, which I don't know if he ever listens to the podcast, but if you do, um, Till, I, I just want to let you know, like, dude, like, I, I always thought he was a phenomenal Marine. I went to coach his course with him, so I only knew him for, like, two weeks, like, legitimately. And uh, But, dude, this dude was phenomenal. Like, yeah. everything he did, he was just amazing at it. But he was treated poorly while he was in the Marine Corps, got out. Now he's like airborne ranger or whatever. Wow. Like I'm pretty sure he's in E6 now. So like, you, you can see he's a locked on dude. Yeah. yeah. And so like you have a lot of that in the Marine Corps, they get out and whatever it is they, they do, whether they stay in the military, they go a different route or, you know, they get out the military and they, they want to do something. They freaking shine. And I think success. that's, that's amazing how the institution instilled in them this sort of mindset of success. But to digress off of that, it's interesting how we do have dudes who get out the Marine Corps who legitimately hated it, yep. right? And I mean that happens a lot, yep. right? I mean, very I mean, often. The, the the retention rate in the Marine Corps has got to be the lowest. It's bad out of out of out of yeah. any branch. It's got to be the lowest. And what that is accredited to, I don't know because I was never in a massive position of leadership um, to be able to really answer that question. Uh, all I know is the dudes who were underneath me, because I was a platoon sergeant for like three years, uh, the dudes who were underneath me, they would come to me with their problems and I would legitimately care. Now, if that is the reasoning, I don't know. If I can tell you. So if you're a good horse, the Marine Corps will ride you till you fall over. And when you fall over, they're going to find another good horse. And that happens a lot. Yeah. So you have, you have your... 20, 30 guys, you've got two or three that are rock, they're rock stars. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. I mean, they are straight up elite alpha male type A personalities that can handle and take on anything. And it doesn't take long in a group of, of you know, 30, 40 Marines for those individuals to stand out. Well, once you're identified from that, now the senior leadership, the, the unit, the command is going to ride you for everything. I mean, that, you're like, if, if we need, if this billet opens up, Hey, we need you. Even right. though you've got four or five billets, we really need you to do this. Yeah. We need you to do that. And then, and these guys, they, they take it and that's, you know, they take it, they take on all this extra responsibility. They're killing it. They're still doing their other stuff. They're still shining, still leading Marines. And they literally will ride these guys until they fall over or they get burned out or yeah. you know, there's nothing left. And when it happens, they're like, "Hey, you know what? Thank you. We appreciate you. Here's this. Here's this plaque." Even then, so I went to uh, I went to Alaska. Uh, that was like a few months before I got out, and I was a sergeant at the time. I think there were like thirty dudes from my platoon that were gone, and I was like the staff NCO IC of our unit's detachment that was going to Alaska. So like I was in charge, right? So I was unaware of that. I thought there was going to be an actual staff and CEO there, but I get on the plane and it's me. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, like, okay, what? I mean, I, I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. I don't care. Like I'll do whatever, but like a simple heads up would have been really cool. Yeah. Right. So I get to Alaska. I'm in charge of these 30 dudes. This is the first time I'm like alone and unafraid. Right. I've always been like, obviously underneath someone, but this is the first time that I'm the You're guy. On the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, Hey, listen, I'm ready for it, whatever. And at the time I was put up for that meritorious staff board. So I was like, Hey, maybe this is like a test. I got this. I can run with it. Right. And I did really well. But so while I was there, they found out cause we were there, we were supporting another unit that was doing, um, annual training in Alaska. We were there for like, dude, like four, three, four weeks, I think. Yeah. And so while they were there, they found out that I was a 
I was a PMI. So they're like, oh my God, do we have all these ranges that we need to run? Da, 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 da. And right. I think that entire unit <laughs> had like a coach their annual and call. a CMT. Yeah. So they were like, can you assist? And I was like, absolutely. But I was like, listen, I just need to make sure that my dudes are taken care of, right? Because underneath me, I had a very junior sergeant and that was it. And the rest were all like corporals and below. Okay. So I was like, I'll be honest, I don't trust this junior sergeant very much. So I need a, a staff NCO from your unit to kind of babysit my dudes if you want me to do this right and i did and i think i ran seven ranges in three days good guy table one table two uh no we didn't do table one we did table two two through seven i guess you couldn't table one i mean yeah yeah we didn't have a table one is a non-distance uh marksmanship and marine corps so you shoot the 200 300 500 yard line table two uh that's that whole you know under 100, 100 meters. Yeah, but they just changed it. Well, they changed it after I got out. Now it's like stupid difficulty. Table one's like even ex- – so now table one goes from 500 to I think 25. Um, All the moving target stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's – but it's That's it's right. it's pretty intense now. So apparently it's pretty difficult, which I've never done that one. But while I was there, I ran I think six or seven ranges in three days. And then at the very end of it, we did a pistol. Uh, we did a pistol call. Got to get the pistol badge for the ball. For the right. ball. Got to. I uh, did the pistol call, and then we did an enhanced pistol competition, which I blew the brakes off everybody because that's like what I do, right? Um, so I did really well, and dude, I freaking I did amazing, and I was I was put up, and I'm doing air quotes for you know obviously you can't see in the podcast, but I was put up for a NAM, which I was like, oh, this is awesome. I've never gotten a NAM before. I've I've never gotten any award other than like uh, an LOA or like a. Uh, Letter of appreciation. Yeah, I, th- I think I got something some, else. Like some meritorious mask. I got a meritorious yeah, mask. I got a. Uh, I got a meritorious mask. For, That's a thank you, son. Here's a piece of paper with my signature on it. Yeah, I got a meritorious mask for being as a corporal. No, as a sergeant, I was the staff and CO of a corporal's course. Okay, I went on active duty course for like three weeks, and I basically taught a corporal's course or whatever. Um, so I got a meritorious mask for that, and I was put up for a NAM. Which I think this, the whole reason behind this story was this has so much to do with dudes who get so disgruntled with the Marine Corps. I was put up for a NAM. Uh, I wasn't given the NAM. The NAM was given to a gunny. And literally in this dude's, like in the, like. In and the, this guy's write-up is your stuff. Is literally yeah. everything that I did. You know this happens in the active duty? So it, 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 it's oh, yeah. ridiculous, dude. Like it's so stupid. There's, like. There's some summary of actions that uh, other Marines are a part of, but it went to a different Marine. Yeah. yeah. I know. Like, literally, that happened a lot. An, an, another one, uh, I was like a Lance at the time, but there was a staff sergeant who also got an AM. And they, while they were reading it, it was funny because my platoon sergeant, you know, he's standing in front of the platoon at, you know, the POA and position of attention and everything. And you could see as he's reading it, a lot of the shit that my platoon sergeant did during that annual training was given to this other staff and CO. And literally he's standing there position of attention. I could see him like slinking every time like they say something. He's yeah, like, motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. Just degrading. Like, dude, yeah. what the hell? Like what like what what is this about? And then and that's how you lose a good Marine. Yeah. So I think that does have a lot to do with it. Uh, but the funny thing is is because the Marine Corps instills all of the correct values in in the junior Marines that when the junior Marine gets out or, you know, even a senior Marine, whatever, when they get out, they succeed. And I think that has a lot to do with it because they're still taught the values that are needed for success. I agree. Even though they weren't quote unquote successful while they were in the Marine Corps, whether that's their fault or someone else's fault, I think that has so much. And and knowing you and knowing you, I know that you getting that opportunity, you getting to run those courses, you getting to engage with those Marines and, and teach them some, probably some, some pretty good, pretty good information, good knowledge on marksmanship, 
Um, you clearly probably made a lot of people better in marksmanship. So I know that you appreciate that more than if there was a nam hanging up behind you in the office. Right. No, definitely. Um, and, I, and I don't really give a rat's ass about the award or the fact that I wasn't meritoriously promoted. Uh, I just, I would have trouble sleeping at night knowing that I didn't make an impact Right. In the nine years that I was in the Marine Corps. Agreed. Like, and it's like uh, a friend of mine years ago, he asked me, completely unrelated, but he asked me, he's like, would you rather no one show up for your wedding or no one show up for your funeral? And at the time I was young, so I said wedding because I'm like, well, I would, I would have a hard time with that. I don't give a shit about the funeral because I'm dead. Right. And he's like, but he's the, the dude, his name's Damien. He's significantly older than me. Um, That's good. That's deep. And I like that. Yeah, and he said, "Dude, I, I no." He's like, "That's no, that's you're looking at it the wrong way." And I was right. like, "What do you mean? I'm dead. Why does it matter?" And he's like, "Well, yes, although you are dead, it's just living your entire life and no one showing up to your funeral. I think that has more of an impact if no one shows up. Like that says more about your life, right? Than it would about your death, you know. And it's kind of the same concept. Like not no. I mean, I still have dudes who." I met at that annual training or at different annual trainings or, you know, different uh, evolutions or whatever that I ran or whatever. They still hit me up, ask me questions about firearms or marksmanship or whatever, even though I've been out for two years now. Yeah. And that, that in itself makes me really happy knowing that I made such a positive impact on them that, you know, they're still, they still keep in contact with me because of that positive impact that I had. I've got two perfect stories. that's going to fall in the line just perfectly. Um, first one I'll tell you about is, uh, so the Marine I just lost, uh, Master Gunning, uh, Rick Hernandez. That, that man had more impact on me as a Marine than literally anybody else that, that I walked beside. And, uh, and I was with Master Gunning Hernandez for the three, three and a half years that I was at Six Marines. Um, that guy was phenomenal. He was a professional and he was an expert in anything that he did. And I don't care if I was watching him do something for the first time. I mean, that's how this, this guy was. This guy was everything that I know of Marines. Uh, and he passed away and it broke me. It broke me pretty hard. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And, um, either way, real, real, real weird situation. He passed away unexpectedly, um, neither here nor there passed away in August. And, uh, they took a while to put together a memorial service because he was, he was, he was, he retired master guns 30 years. Um, he was working for a, uh, a company that does a lot of training for all the alphabet agencies, any, any, you know, contracting stuff, they would come through them. Um, they, cause they do so much different types of training either way. Uh, got the information about a couple of weeks ago that the memorial service was going to be in this Liberty town in South Georgia. And you know, you see me now, like I am a hundred miles an hour. My, my phone's always going off. I always have clients and agents that, and, and needing stuff. So I stay pretty busy. Uh, the moment he sent me the info for the memorial service, I booked my flight immediately. I didn't care what was going on. I didn't, I didn't care that he was cremated. So I wasn't going to see him. I wasn't going to his burial. I wasn't going to his funeral. None of his family was going to be there. This was literally a memorial service set up by the company he's worked for over the last four years, wanted to do something for him. Um, so I called up another great friend of mine, Eric Jen. Uh, Eric was my gunner. Uh, we were the lead vehicle. So all the 2006 to, or my 2007 deployment, uh, we were the lead vehicle. I was the lead vehicle commander. Eric Gent was my gunner behind a 50 cal. Uh, I, so I called Eric because Eric and I, I mean, we were literally inseparable. I said, hey, look, this is this is the deal. This is information. Um, 
Eric lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Says, "Look, I'm going to fly to you in Jacksonville. It's about a three hour road trip. We're going to drive up. We're going to attend. Uh, you know, top, I called him Top Guns. We're going to attend Top Guns Memorial Service. Uh, I'm going to make this quick. So we drive up. We're there. We walk in. Uh, Eric and I uh, walk in, and you know, suit, you know, sport coat jackets, and we walk into uh, you know the typical contractor view. So everybody's rocking five elevens and polos, or their you know McGillian shirts, and right." Um, their tactical shoes. Uh, and they said, as soon as we walked in, it was like, you know what? We don't know. I, I've never met you a day in my life. But as soon as you walked into this cafeteria, that's where the memorial service was. He's like, there was no doubt about it. Both of you were two of Rick's Marines. And that was special because of what Top Guns meant to both of us. And there was no way we weren't going to be there. I don't give a damn where it was. Right. We were going to be there because of what that meant, what that man meant for us. That guy brought us together. I mean, you got to understand 2007. I'm 24 years old, 24 years old. Jen's 20. He's 19, 20 years old. He turned 20 on the deployment. So you've got a 24 year old sergeant leading the, the lead vehicle. We did 361 patrols in Fallujah. This is 2007. I mean, it was, yeah, it was still, still back. Still hot. Still yeah. good times. Um, he brought, he hand selected every one of us, brought us together, you know, had us focused. Like we were literally focused on the mission, weren't focused on anything else. It actually wasn't until very years later that that deployment had a lot of effect on me. Either way, um, that gentleman meant so much to me that there was nowhere, no matter where his, no matter where it was, I was going. It was, it, it gave me closure and it was a way for me to say, Top Guns, this is what you mean to me. So that's deep. I like that. Uh, the second thing I was going to tell you was a couple years ago, I got invited to a Marine Corps ball out of Oklahoma city. And, uh, I remember I used to recruit, I, uh, I recruited Oklahoma 2009, 10, 11, uh, covered, you know, did the enlisted stuff for the high schools, the first half, later half I did, uh, college stuff either way. So I'm at, uh, I'm at this Marine Corps ball for this reserve unit in Oklahoma city. And I'm sitting at this table, uh, you know, with my wife, Ariel and, uh, this gentleman sitting across from me, he was like, it was him and his, you know, his date. And they were really cool, really awesome. We hung out with them the entire night. And at one point, we're you know getting ready to to go out and actually enjoy the Marine Corps birthday uh, out in Oklahoma City. And he says, he looks at me and he says, I know you don't remember this at this by now, but you sat in my living room. And I got, I mean, I kind of gave me goosebumps just now just thinking about it. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you, um, in 2010, you sat in my living room. I was in college. Um, I was thinking about dropping out. I wanted to be a Marine. I wanted to go enlisted. And uh, you were sitting at the table with me and my parents. And he said, and you actually told me that would be the stupidest thing that I could do. He said, you did. I said, I, I remember it. Clearly, he said, that'd be the dumbest thing I could have do. He, you told me that I'm in college. I need to stay with it. I need to stick with it. I need to focus on my degree and look into becoming a Marine Corps officer. And he said, and that's exactly what I did. He said, so to see you sitting at my table 10 years later, as a, I think as a gunny at the time, he said, the impact that you had on me, like literally changed my life. I was like, wow. I mean, we always talk about it, right? Um, and I recruited a lot of kids. I put a lot of kids in Marine Corps. Um, some of them I, I try to stay in contact with. You know, some of them I try to fo you know, follow on Facebook. But you, you, you always 
to in the back of your mind wonder like am I having I mean you know are you making an impact are you making a difference for me to see that kid out of out of Oklahoma City I mean 10 almost 10 years later um was like a captain uh I don't remember I don't remember asking what what is I I, kind of feel like captain makes sense um I, I can't remember off the top of my mind um it was a pretty humbling moment, you know, because at the time, you know, you're just I mean, even even recruiting, recruiting at 25, 20. I was probably 26 years old when I met this kid. I mean, at 26 years old, <laughs> I don't know how much valuable life advice I could give someone, but thank God I got one right. Right. Um, but it, that was that was neat, and I, I think um, it, it's something that as Marines that that we get those opportunities that a lot of people don't get. Yeah. Um, and that was that was. Very humbling. Like I had a, uh, a really close friend of mine. He's probably one of my closest mentors in the Marine Corps. Uh, his name is Orlando Perez. He just retired, oh man, probably a year ago maybe. He had invited me to his retirement ceremony, but it, like it was in Florida or whatever. So, I was, you know, and I think at the time, like I was, it might have been just me like working by myself. So I was like, hey, bro, I, I love you, but unfortunately, I, you know, I can't shut down the shop or whatever. Um so he actually, he, he ended up coming, he came to the shop on Saturday, maybe Friday. Yeah, he came to the shop on Friday and he bought a rifle for me. He drove all the way from Florida. Wow. Bought a rifle. I mean, he was going to visit his parents. Uh, he told me where they live. It starts with the sea and it's far. No, 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 Lubbock. The Lubbock's pretty far, isn't it? Lubbock's a run. Yeah. So uh, basically, he, this was like, I guess, like his... You in know, between, yeah, his yeah. in between point. So he stopped, bought a rifle, got a hotel, and because yeah, he, he still had about what four hours, yeah, five, something like that, <laughs> some trash like that. Yeah. So his parents lived in Lubbock, so uh, he came and bought a gun for me or whatever. And uh, so I was telling my wife about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I was like, it's really awesome to see Orlando. I hadn't seen Orlando since he left my unit, which was probably four years ago. But he had he actually had a huge impact on me, and he probably didn't know it." Um, he was one of my good friends. He was a staff sergeant. I was like a corporal ish sergeant yeah. at that time, you know. So obviously we weren't super close right. because of the rank difference too. But we spent a lot of time together because he sent me to coach's course. And I honestly, bro, I think if I wouldn't have gone to coach's course, I'd have got out as yeah. soon as I could. Uh, I didn't like, I still didn't like being Motor T. I hated it. Um, I wanted to be a grunt. Not a lot of people do. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't want that. Yeah. I, I didn't have a choice. It was either I, I leave units or, you know, whatever I like move. So I hated being Motor T. I always did. I never liked it. But me going to coach's course kind of saved me from getting out because I got to do what I enjoyed doing. Right. And that was, you know, teaching Marines and and, you know, being around rifles and guns and actually I spent more time because obviously I went to coach's course as a corporal. And then when we were a weapons company, I was a very junior Lance. So I never got to teach any like machine gun classes or anything like that because we were a weapons company and I was like the lowest dude. I was like the ammo bitch basically, you know. <laughs> uh, so I never got to do that. But then when all the machine gunners got out mm -hmm. and then I went to instructor's course, I came back. They were all gone basically. And they were like, holy shit, this was stupid for us to kick out all the machine gunners because obviously a Motor T company, you not know, have a whole lot of we, we have machine guns that go Probably on top of our Probably not going to know how to take apart a 50 cal bolt. So basically, I kind of transitioned from maintenance, which I did for about two years. Motor T guys are the guys it. that put a COP on a Martin IT. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And they never worked anyway. But, um, but yeah. So we, uh, I got to, actually, I got to do more O three thirty one shit as a thirty five hundred MOS. Right. Than I got to do when I was actually in O three MOS so because yeah, and it worked out great. And like I told you, now, I was like my, you know, like my big biggest moment in the Marine Corps. And to this day, I'll tell anyone like the funnest time I had was going to instructor's course. Oh yeah. I learned so much in that two weeks. It was it was phenomenal. The amount of knowledge that was just like drilled into you during the what is two that weeks course actually? Because everything everything reserves two weeks because that's that's your max time that you can do something. No, so coach's course is it's only two weeks. weeks. Yeah, okay. yeah. I so uh, so but when I went, so the coach's course that I went to was for reservists, and it's actually the only MOS producing school in the Marine Corps that's run entirely by reservists. Uh, it was part of the Marine Corps, like the reserve marksmanship team. Okay. So they get to run it, but they have to every year in order to maintain status on the marksmanship team. They either have to teach, but like our instructors would change out. So basically the instructors would be there for a week. So mm. basically to be on the marksmanship team, you'd either have to teach w- at least one week during coaches you course have to stay current. or, or you'd have to teach the CMT course, which is the basically just like McMahon. Yeah. Martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we got to do that. And like to this day, I'll tell everyone like the, the, the funnest time for me was going to that course. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I love going to ranges. I mean, that's what I, you know, that's just me. Oh yeah. Right? I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah. And I mean, I was, dude, I mean, and, get better. and so the thing about it too, was I was always the first one to wake up and I was the last one to go to bed. Yeah. Even though like I ran ranges all day and a lot of the other coaches, they would chill and shoot the shit or whatever. I wanted to make sure that everything was set up for the day. You know, chow was, re- even though I'm not, I'm not in charge of the range, the entire operation, you know, right. the, the movements and all that other stuff. I wanted to be a participant in that because I didn't want people to think that like I was lazy or anything like that. I wanted to be completely involved in, in the training, entire training evolution, not just yeah. when the range goes hot, you know? And, uh, I think that had a huge impact because when dudes would wake up and I was already dressed, Ready already had two cups of coffee in me <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Marines, like, let's go, let's get it. Come on, baby. Like, this is what, you know, this is what we get paid the big bucks for. Let's right. go. And I think that had a huge impact on dudes too, but I, I absolutely loved it. And the fact that Orlando came all the way to Florida, to, from Florida to buy that rifle. I'm going to tell you right now, tits. I'm a firm believer that life does not get any better than having a rock star, a cherry cheese, Danish, Watching the dew on the grass, watching the sun come up on targets that are ready, and ready Marines already on the fire line, yeah. ready to crack at first light. Uh, those are good times, and, and like, those memories—that stuff you'll take with you forever. And like, how many times have you told range control, like, "Hey, we're going hot at zero six ten, and you actually are pulling the trigger at zero yeah, six light up? Yeah, I mean, it almost never happens. Yeah, right? I tell you. But uh, the fact that it did when I ran it, because I ran a pretty tight ship, uh, and I, I, like I said, man, if if I could. Like I went to, uh, I did go to uh, TBS, and I got to coach lieutenants for a while. Okay, it was a few months. That was that was like the longest stint I did active duty was when I was at TBS, uh, and dude, I loved it, man. A lot of dudes get burnt out. Oh, a lot. Because yeah. I mean, you're doing the same shit Monday oh, through repetitive, Friday. Repetitive, extremely. You know? Like to the point to where like I've been out forever, and I could probably, I could probably run the uh, run the tower right now. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, because you know? yeah. we, we do, and I tell us like because now I, I teach to a lot of agents. Um, you know, I teach them stuff about the mortgage the mortgage world and stuff that kind of helps them out and, and makes them productive and, and stuff like that. But and I tell them like, look, I, I say the same thing over and over. 
I mean, I really do. And so, um, and I repeat myself, I try to, I still try to come up with little ditties and, you know, little, little fun things to say. Uh, my favorite one is, um, if you have loans, you have problems. If you don't have loans, you have bigger problems. That's one of my, uh, it's one of my, that new me, sense, new me ditties that, uh, that I use. In but this actually, world a today. big reason why I wanted to go to this coach's course was I always loved uh, the dudes who like ran the pits. Yeah, you know, like come on, nineteen, let's go nineteen. Can I get a drill instructor to nineteen? <laughs> come on, nineteen, let's go nineteen. We need, we got outstanding pit service this morning. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And uh, I really wanted to become a coach just so I could be the pit NCO. I told you this. Remember, remember when I was in the reserves that one time? They yeah. had me, they had me run the pit yeah. as a gunny, which uh, is unheard of. But yeah. I was. I was excited. I was like, "Yeah, sure, I can. I, I can do this in my shit. sleep." And uh, yeah, so I got to run run the pits as uh, I was the pit gunny, and yeah, we. we I but not, the funniest thing was we didn't mess when around I, with slow targets. Obviously, like the reserves are different from active, right? And in the reserve, your entire company may have like two or three, like legitimate coaches. Uh, some terrible shooters. Yeah, which which you have <laughs> you have a lot like you have like like notional coaches, I guess, like basically yeah. just like rank, you know, like position safety dudes right. or whatever PSOs, RSOs, whatever it is. But like, as far as like dudes who are like legitimately certified to run the range, oh, no, you don't no, have most of them are self taught. Yeah. Two or three at the yeah. most. Right. So actually for three years, I was the only coach. And then I when, when I told them I was getting out, they decided to send eight dudes to coach's course. I'm like, so I've been alone and unafraid. For like three or four years, we're about to be nil. Yeah, you're about but, to be Winchester. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, get the, them in now. Yeah, the funniest thing though was that the fact that I actually, uh, when I got to the reserves as a coach, I realized very quickly I will never be in the pits. Never. No, no. Because they need me on the line. Too much there's, there's only That's right. two or three of us. Where I, which actually there was one of us for. Like me for like two years, and then I had another dude who would like come and go sometimes. He was uh he was in the IRR, so he would just kind of show up when he had to. But anyway, you gotta love that. Yeah, let's digress from all that. So we're at about an hour and ten now. Um, so we kind of talked about obviously our uh, joined relationship, Marine Corps experience, and all that fun stuff. So um, let's talk about let's talk about your your current career. Okay. So mortgage lending. So obviously, uh, I hated nothing more than the home buying process. I absolutely hated it. So, get, what 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 could have been done to make processes easier? So to to make your job in easier and your client's job easier. So what, explain me through the VA home loan process. It's very very easy how I approach it, and I'm going to tell you, and you're going to be like, yeah, I'm dialed in. Before you take a group of Marines to fam fire, familiarization fire, machine guns, Marines that are not used to being around machine guns, what do you do for an entire week? You teach them the gun. Right. You teach them the gun. You teach With them. Your grass week. You run your, you run your PowerPoints, you know, give them the, the nomenclatures and what the function is and stuff like that. Then what do you do? You go into dis and ass. So you disassemble a symbol. You put the weapon together, take it down, break it apart. You understand and learn how it functions. That's what, you know, this is the drive rod spring, this is, you know, drive spring assembly. This is the bolt. Uh, this is the sear. You know, you teach them everything about how the machine gun works. The idea is, because everybody knows when you start putting, you know, live rounds down range out of machine gun, most people's adrenaline shoots up. They get very nervous because they're right. not used to it. There's a lot going on. Uh, and there's an explosion, controlled explosion, but there's an explosion. Um, so the idea from the Marine Corps is, and it's proven, 
if I teach you this weapon system, how this thing functions, and you break it down, you put it to, together, you can tell me what each part is, the name of it, what it does, what its function is, what its purpose is. When you are putting rounds down range, if you incur a problem, you can resort back to your training. You can resort back to the ditties, you know, like misfire, 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 wait five seconds for hang fire, five, four, three, two, one, poor charge, you know, feeding, ejecting. If you do that repetitively, you will do that in those high uh, adrenaline anxiety situations. That always worked for me, and I did that religiously, teaching, you know, non infantry Marines before they went downrange how to effectively employ a machine gun. I, I use that to teach me how to do home loans. Okay. Then I started to understand it and absorb it so much that I was able to break it down and relate it to my clients. So when I'm on the phone with a client and they're talking about a loan or how it works or escrow, escrow is my favorite. What is escrow? A lot of, that's a weird name, a weird word that you really don't hear a lot. So what is escrow? We start talking about uh, like, hey, your, your monthly payment's going to have your property tax and insurance included. Uh, you're going to be escrowed. What does that mean? Savings account. Escrow is savings account. So in a savings account, you walk into a bank, you put $25 in a bank, you open up the savings account, you put money in there so that when you need it, that money's in that savings account. Same thing as escrow. Escrow is for your taxes and insurance because taxes and insurance are both paid on an annual basis. Uh... And they're, they're, they're both paid forward. So what we do is we collect three months of each. We collect three months of your homeowner's insurance, collect three months of your property taxes. Why? You buy your house in October, you close in October, there's no monthly payment. No monthly payment, November. First monthly payment, December, which is month three. We collect three months to make sure your escrow is on track, right? Escrow savings. But just because you don't have to pay the note doesn't mean that insurance and property taxes aren't due, right? You still have to pay them, but that's what the escrow is for. Correct. So when those two... Entities come due. Your homeowner's insurance will always be renewed in the same month you bought the house every year. Property taxes in the great state of Texas are always due in December. So instead of you getting that bill in the mail and being like, oh my gosh, you know, in the great state of Texas, property taxes be $10,000. We don't have $10,000. Well, lucky for you, escrow savings account does. Because as you've been making monthly payments, a portion of your taxes and a portion of your insurance have been going into this account to be set aside. So when both of those bills are due, your escrow has enough money in there to pay these two bills. So you don't have to worry about it. So you think escrow, you think savings. Uh, When I'm trying to explain a loan to a person, uh, I explain to them from risk assessment. Because what is a loan? A loan is a risk assessment. You have this investor, you're the investor, and I'm putting together this loan. And you're looking at it, you say, what's the loan program? It's conventional. Uh, what's the term? 30 years. What's the loan to value or the down payments? 5%. What's the debt to income ratios? Uh, you know, it's a 34 front side and a 48 back side. So they're looking at all these different risk assessments. What's the credit score? You know, how much assets do we have? What, what, how much income do we have? What's our two-year employment history look like? You know, what type of income is it? They're looking at it from a risk, of stand, risk assessment standpoint to determine your ability to repay the loan. If there's higher risk factors, if they're really concerned about you not paying back this loan, well, where are they going to compensate for it? They're going to compensate for it in your interest rate because that's how they make money mm-hmm. or your mortgage insurance uh, because both of those are tied to risk. Uh, so the investors, are gonna, they have to protect their money because they've got a lot of money and they know how to make a lot of money and they're going to help you, but only if they can make a lot of money. 
Right. Uh, so it's everything's looked at from a risk assessment. And when I can explain that to a client or I screen share, I screen share with my clients. I'm very transparent. I'm a, I tell people I'm not a salesman. I'm still a Marine. Uh, so I value, you know, integrity, character, explaining customer service. You know, those are the things that I focus on. I'm not going to focus on trying to sell you a rate or sell you a program or anything like that. I, I, would, I would fail. But I'm very transparent. I screen share. I walk through line by line. I explain everything to them. Uh, that, that typical Marine mindset, like, you know, we don't really know how to turn work off. So like, I don't take days off. I don't, I don't have times where I'm technically not available. Uh, except, you know, I was telling you just now before I got here, I had a client call me at 11 o'clock at night. I was already asleep because uh, I planned on being here early. <laughs> so didn't take that one. But for the most part, I tell people like, you know, I, we're human beings and, you know, you and Janae, when you guys were buying your house, there's probably a couple of late night conversations where you guys are sitting on the couch, sitting at the table, like not understanding something that's going on, not really sure about something or maybe stressing about like, well, you know, they said I had to pay for some survey. Like, are we going to have to pay for a survey? How much is a survey? I've, surveys can be five, six, seven hundred dollars. Are we going to have to pay for that? And you're right. freaking out. Right. Maybe it causes you to lose a night of sleep because you tossed and turned and wondering, like, we're going to come up with another seven hundred dollars. I tell my clients, don't do that. Call me. Call me at eight, nine o'clock at night, at Saturday or Friday night, whatever the case, because that's a 10 minute conversation. I could probably easily, I could answer your question, tell you the situation. And if I'm your loan officer, I could probably tell you if the survey is good to go or not or, or whatever the case. Yeah. So it, it's really just to try to remove stress, remove anxiety, make it enjoyable, explain things to them, be available, communicate, be transparent. What do I know? Who needs to know? Have I told them? You know, that type of stuff that, that, that we drive in the Marine Corps. Um, so I really just try to find like, what makes you successful as a Marine? Now I'm in this new world that I don't know a lot about. How can I be successful here? Well, the first thing I can do, what, what can I control, right? You think as a Marine, what can I control? Well, I can control my attitude. I can control my worth ethic. You know, I can control customer service. You know, I can, and, and I can control how available I am. And that's where I started. And then, you know, as I grew to know more and more and more and, and kind of expand the knowledge now, like, I feel like I'm really in a, in a, in a place to where like, I can explain something to a client. I can walk them through the process. I can, I can, you know, go over different loan options, tell, you know, look at, I even have clients and agents that will call me like if their client's not with me, like, Hey Chuck, I've got this problem, this situation, you know, this, this doesn't make sense. You know, what, what's really going on here? Or, Hey, can you get on the phone with this client? Because their cash to close is extremely high. They're not really sure. Sure enough, I can look at a closing disclosure and be like, well, yeah, they're charging, you know, three or four points on, on a discount rate. They're just not telling you or whatever the case. Um, so it's just finding a way to still offer that service. Yeah. You know? And I think one thing uh, that we really struggled with. So the lady who I used, I mean, she was nice. Uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about her. <laughs> right. Um, but the lady that we used, I probably won't use her again, obviously, if we buy another house, which our conversation leading up to the podcast is you and I will probably stay in the homes that we're in for as long as we can. That's right. Because we got uh, amazing interest uh, interest rates for through the VA loans. But so one thing that we struggle with, so when we first were going through the home buying process and everything, uh, the lady ran our numbers because at the time I wasn't working for the ranch. I was just working here. Right. Right. But self-employed self borrowers yeah. is, is really difficult. And I'm going to talk about that because that is something that I was forced to become relatively knowledgeable on. Um, so when they ran all of our numbers, cause I asked, I was like, listen, you know, like, do I need a job to get the house? Like what, what do I need to do? And so she ran the numbers off of just Janae's income. We have almost, well, at the time we had almost no debt. 
Um, I think the only debt that we had was my truck, which I owed like 18 grand on, right? So, I mean, our debt to income was, I mean, nothing, right? right. So basically she said, well, with, since your debt to income ratio before buying the home is so low, you're pre-approved for like, like an obscene amount of money, right? But then when she started looking into my tax returns, because my accountant that I had used when I lived in Louisiana, I had like a little home-based FFL, like Sarah coding business, okay. which she would claim every damn thing on it, right? So right. I was in the red. Uh, I think you it was like everything off. So yeah, so it was like three thousand, four thousand yeah. dollars per year, whatever, whatever. So once she accounted for my profit and loss, mm -hmm. uh, that had to account towards our debt to income, which dropped our 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 income by like eight hundred dollars. So your line thirty one and your Schedule C was probably with three four thousand dollars, and that's what you were showing for income for that entire year. Right, and so I was really confused as to all that, and I was like, well, I don't understand. Like, obviously, I didn't lose money. I have money. Like, I don't I don't get it. Right. So that was something I was somewhat forced to become knowledgeable on. So as a self employed borrower, uh, basically what she told me is like, listen, Keenan. Unfortunately, I didn't catch this until now. Yeah. Uh, but she said basically, as a self employed borrower, you can't have the best of both worlds. Nope. Right. I can't claim every Thing off on my taxes right. and not pay taxes, but then also go to the bank and be like, oh, by the way, I need $350,000 for a house. And I make $10,000 a month. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she's like, basically, you can't have the best of both worlds, which doesn't make sense, right? So basically what I was forced to do was I was like, okay, well, like, what are our options? And she, basically by, which I thought was really strange, but by adding that, like what we were pre-approved for dropped from like $400,000 to like one seventy. Yeah. And she's like, unfortunately, Keenan, there's just no homes that, that yeah. what you want in that price no. range. She's like, this isn't Lafayette, Louisiana. So no. I was like, oh, no, it makes sense. Right. I got it. So I was like, and shit, I said her name, but whatever. So I was like, well, what, what can we do? Right. And so Ange really helped me through that process. And she was like, basically, Keenan, you have two options. One, you either have to stay in your business for two years, right? So I need two years of tax returns for your business, mm -hmm. uh, where you have to be in the green both years, which is tough, yeah. right? Especially my first two years, but which yeah. actually we have been green since basically like day 10. So um, that wasn't an issue. But basically she was like, you either you either have two options. You stay in the apartment for another two years, get, get, your, you taxes know, right. get your taxes right, or pay stub W-2. Or get a job of them. That's right. So I was like, okay. So basically I told her, I was like, all right. And so like, what, what do I need? Like what's basically if I go to an employer and be like, look, I just need this much money. Like how much do I need my paycheck to show to get qualified for the amount that we want? And she's like, basically you need, I think she's like, basically your annual income needs to be like 35 grand. Okay. I was like, okay, cool. What, 20 bucks an hour, somewhere right around there. Yeah, something like that. So okay. uh, I applied for a couple of jobs and basically what I was going to do was I was going to work here 40 hours a week. And then I was going to get some night night job or whatever, you know, making enough to qualify. And basically, I was going to kill myself for two months. I got months, it, yeah. Right? And so I just told Janelle, I was like, listen, you know, it sucks. We're in this situation because of me. This is all my fault. And I mean, I went down a really deep, like, depressive state because I was like, I did this to my family by, you know, not asking the right questions to my former accountant and all this other stuff. So I ended up applying for a couple of jobs. I got offered a job that I just, I knew I wouldn't have been able to do. It was like super manual labor after working. And basically, basically I would leave here at six. I'd work that night job from seven to like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I mean, there's no way I could have sustained yeah. that for more than a week. Right. So, uh, 
I got offered that job, but I declined it. I just told Janelle, I was like, I'm sorry, honey, I just can't do that or whatever. So then that's when I hit up the ranch that I used to work for. I called, yeah. uh, I called them. They were super sweet and nice enough as to basically let me come on, right. back on. And then obviously we went through the entire home buying process. So that was something that I was forced to become knowledgeable on. And as a self-employed borrower, you know, you got to really mind your P's and Q's when oh, it yeah. comes to your taxes, you know, because like Ange said, you can't have the best of both worlds. So exactly. Yeah. And it's something that I do. I, when I talk to a client, I, I, I ask them like, Hey, you know, what do you do for, what do you do for work? What do you do for employment? Are we, are we pay stub W2 or hourly salary? And they say, no, I'm 1099 or I'm, I'm, you know, I run a business. It's the very first thing I tell them before I even let them submit an application. I'm like, send me your tax returns. If they've got two years of history, I'm like, send me your tax returns. Cause that's what I'm gonna have to use for income. And I can tell you, I can tell you within 20 seconds of looking at a schedule C if it's a go or no go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then so that way, so like, hey, look, before I waste your time, before you submit an application, before I pull credit and waste a credit inquiry, let me look at your tax returns. Let me see what we have for qualifying monthly income because we we have to go off those documents, whether it's a Schedule C for profit and loss, which is very, very common, very simple, especially for people at 1099, uh, or if it's more complex with a 1065, 1120S, uh, the very first thing you want to do is, is calculate your income. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and it does. So, Pay stub W-2, if you leave the hourly salary world and you go into self-employment, it's two years. I mean, it's two years bottom line. I mean, I think there's a couple of programs out there that can do one year 1099, but just like you said, most of the time in your first year, you're not making a whole lot of money and you're definitely not showing it on your taxes. Um, so there are programs out there for one year, but I'm telling you, it's pretty much two years. Um, if you go from, this is exactly what you did, if you go from self-employed back to pay stub W-2, I can use that income immediately because right. you working at the range, I can tie that back to your Marine Corps. We've got two years of history. Even though it's a new field, new job, a lot of people get this confused. You still have two years of history in that field. Uh, and now you're going back to pay stub W-2, getting paid hourly. I can use every bit of that income immediately. So uh, very common. Yeah. So, and another thing too, uh, we touched on it earlier was like a bunch of my buddies got to get out mm -hmm. the Marine Corps, right? Uh, none of them qualified for a VA loan now. Because they were all reservists less than six years and not less than 90 days active duty in a non-training environment. Yep. No. So, and no one told them that at the time. Right. Because basically one of the questions that was posed was, okay, if I get out because you want me to get out, uh, do I lose any benefits? And they actually said, no, you don't lose any benefits. But then obviously years later, you know, people are looking at buying homes and, you know, yeah. cause like we're all getting a little bit older. You didn't lose it. You just didn't make it yet. <laughs> right. And so a lot of dudes, like uh, my really close friend, Tyler, he tried to get a house with his VA loan and they basically said, well, like, no, submit your, you know, all these. You're still your eligibility. Yeah. Uh, and basically uh, none of them were eligible. There was a way. Because a, a, a couple of them looked into it. One of them even like lawyered up, and I think he was able to win it, but he ended up having to spend like $10,000 to be right. able to fight it, was um, I believe there's a clause that said that even if you're ineligible due to you know time of service or whatever, uh, if you're forced to get out due to- To I a forgot, medical discharge. No, right. there's- Some type a, of dip It was something about uh, not needs of the Marine Corps, but convenience of the Marine Corps, something like that. Basically, right. the Marine Corps just wants you to get out. I've seen this. And there was a stipulation. He had to fight it. Like I said, I think he had to pay like every bit of like 10 grand to fight it. probably took every bit of like six months to a year or two. Yeah, maybe. it took a while, but he won it and he was able to qualify for the VA loan or That's whatever. That's awesome. But he was able to win it. But I, I want to say that Henry's probably the only one out of all of like my close friends that I know really yeah. well that got out that now qualify for for VA loans, which which sucks for them. 
Yeah, it does. Which is, but the, again, that goes back to like my reasoning. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to get out yeah. or I don't know if I want to reenlist. I just want to have that option when the time comes. And even a lot of them now, they try to use their SGLI and none of them rate it. And to kind of make it make sense, I guess to put it a little bit more in, in focus is if you qualify for a VA loan, you can buy a million dollar house with a zero down payment, no mortgage insurance, you know, and it's just, I mean, that's, that's insane. If you were to go, if you didn't have the VA loan, trying to buy a million dollar house, it would probably cost you anywhere between two to $300,000 between the down payment, uh, your closing costs, what you need to have in the bank because you need to show reserves. Your monthly payment would be pretty decently high. I mean, it's it's a huge swing having the VA loan. And then, you know, like if you have a disability, you're not paying a funding fee in the great state of Texas. If you're 100% disabled, you're not paying property taxes. Which that's, that's amazing. It's a huge shift. Huge shift. Um, so, yeah. It is unfortunate because a lot of guys don't know that. Um, I mean, I, I, because I feel like a lot of them, I didn't think anything about it. A, a lot of them probably would have stayed in had they known that at the time. Even that, because I mean, duty, dude, like, I, I mean, yeah, it sucks that you have to stick it out for another three years or whatever, you know, yeah. however much time they had left. But it's like, dude, okay, three years, one week in a month, two weeks during the summer. Yeah. Sure, it sucks. It but I mean, you're going to have a decent time with the boys. Yep. You know, you get to leave the house for the weekend or whatever. Um, but dude, like you said, I mean, it's saving you because I mean, okay, my house was like three fifty. What would a normal person not using VA? What would they pretty much have to put? So three hundred fifty thousand. So you can either go FHA or conventional. That's going to be if you go conventional, uh, first time homebuyer, or um, you know, depending on the situation, maybe able to do three percent down or five percent down as your down payment. FHA is going to be a three and a half percent down payment. Um, I mean, I'm pretty good with numbers, but I can't do that. We're looking at like what twenty grand, something like that. Yeah, you're probably looking at three. Three hundred fifty thousand. You're probably looking at twenty to twenty-three thousand dollars total out of pocket to get into the house. Yeah, which I mean, just that in itself. I mean, well, in in modern America, yeah, how many dudes have twenty-three k just I sitting see, in the bank? I I mean, probably seventy, eighty percent of my clients don't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, and then so so to flip that, a VA buying three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, you're probably out of pocket closing costs and, and escrow. So I mean. Maybe eight grand, maybe yeah. seven, eight grand total. Yeah. So when I, when we bought our house, well, we sold our house in Louisiana. I owned it outright. Uh, so we had a, just a bunch of money just sitting in the bank account for no reason or whatever. So I was prepared to bring like 50 grand to closing. Yeah. And Angela's like, no. You're going to bring a dollar. Yeah. She's like, no. She's like, you don't. Well, I mean, I was like, obviously I want to cover something, right? So I, I think I paid like most of the closing costs and all that other stuff well, just yeah. to put something on, you know, so I have some sort of equity. What people don't understand, and this just goes to your point of why you don't want to do that, per $10,000 at $350,000, it's only going to save you $60, $70 per month. Exactly. And that's what she said. Yeah. She's like, because she, she's like, hold on, let me do some quick calculations. She's like, okay, Keenan, if you put no money down, your note will be this. Yeah. And she's like, Keenan, if you put $50,000 down, like my note literally- what, 300 bucks maybe? I don't even think it was that much. It was probably two something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, shit. And for 50 grand, you could have paid off that truck that probably had a $400 car payment. Right. I was like, well, for 200 <laughs> something dollars a month, I'm going to keep my you know, $50,000. Yes. Like yeah. who, why, who would do that? Like what People idiot do. would do that, you know? And so she kind of talked me off that ledge or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. And actually, I think the money that I make in interest- because I invested a bunch of it, like I sent it to like my oh, Edward yeah. Jones. I mean, the money that I make off of that fifty thousand oh, is yes. way more than two hundred dollars. This is what I try to do, but I have to tell people like, hey, look, I am not a financial, financial advisor. advisor. Legally, I cannot advise you what you should do with your money. However, I'm going to explain some things and talk you through some points, and yeah, and, and I mean, it, does, it happens a lot because I tell clients like, yeah, 
you could put $10,000 on this house and it'll save you 70 bucks a month. Or you could spend $8,000 and pay off, you know, three credit cards and that's probably going to save you six or $700. Right. Yeah, exactly. So just trying to put it in perspective and just really just trying to like educate people, you know, give people knowledge, uh, which comforts them. Right. And, um, and help, help them make sound, smart decisions. And it, it, to, it, it does. It, it turns into like a lot more enjoyable experience. I, I, I say all, I say this all the time. Like my clients, some of my clients I'm, 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 I'm interacting with maybe three weeks, right? Maybe three weeks, maybe two or three months, depending on the situation. But like, they really do become like, they become really close friends and, right. and a lot, and then they know like a year or two later, you get something in the mail that you don't know what it is. Like they will literally take a picture of it, send it to me and say, Chuck, is this something that I need to do something with? I'm like, no, it's, it's spam or no, don't worry Yeah, which that. actually, uh. And told me that too. She's yeah. like, it's going to look legit. I yeah, promise it is. it'll look cool. One it'll number look- will be, you know, a number, a letter, a period, something will be different. And it, cause it's going to look like it's from your, your bank or whatever the yeah. case. And it's, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's very stressful. It's, um, you know, I, I've been trying to find sure ways pretty to high pace too. It is. And I've been trying to find ways, you know, just myself just to kind of create some type of work life balance. Uh, cause that can be very challenging to do, but at the same time, you know, I'm I'm 39. I've got a high school education from Alabama. Yeah. I have four total college courses. You know, I've transferred my GI Bill to my son. My son goes to Penn State. We don't pay a dollar. I mean, that's I, – I can't – I literally can't – like, can I say that again? My son goes to Penn State, and we don't pay a dollar. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, the Marine Corps – people ask, like, what did the Marine Corps do for you? Or what does the Marine Corps mean for, to you? What the Marine Corps has done for me – was made every goal and dream a reality. What the Marine Corps means to me, everything. Because the opportunities I had growing up, and I don't want to take away from my parents, but my parents did a phenomenal job. Um, the opportunities I had presented in front of me, and the Marine Corps was my best option. And luckily, at 17 years old, I captured that. Yeah. And I bought into it, right, and, uh, and stayed with it. And because of that... You know, fast forward 20 years later, my son says, I want to go to this school. I transferred him my GI Bill, done deal. Or, you know, now I'm 100% disabled. If I have another kid, my kid's going to go to college. That's a, that's a, that's insane. In, in life, you know, I really feel like the only thing that you can ask for is opportunity, and it's on you what you do with them. Uh, what the Marine Corps has done for me is everything. And, you know, I don't want to go back to pulling the trigger as much as I miss it, as much as I drool about it. You know, it's just, it's not going to happen. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to back, going to go back, pulling the trigger. I may never shoot a machine gun ever again in my life. And that's fine. Uh, I sleep in my own bed every night. I, I kiss my wife in my, every night. My wife is not worried about me leaving and not coming home. And, you know, I fly out this weekend to go see my kid at Penn state to spend the weekend with him. Um, and I still get to help people. I still get to help people every single day accomplish like, you know, a very, high achievement in life, owning a home. And I still get to be a part of it. So I still get to contribute. I still get to, you know, provide a service. I still get to have value um, and goals and and everything that I had that I love from being a Marine. So um, I'm thankful for my path. I'm thankful for where it's brought me. I'm thankful that it, it led me here. Um, I get to, I get to know, you know, guys like you and, and we have a lot of similarities. I love our friendship. I think, I, yeah. you know, I really, I really do enjoy it. Um, and even though, even if we came from two different versions, I guess, from the Marine Corps to see us sitting here and having so much of the same ideas, the same mindset, the same drive, the same goals, the same, uh, you know, 
the things that make us men today. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. So, uh, as far as, uh, you were talking about like a uh, mortgage, super high paced, mm-hmm. I'd assume it's slowed down a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, no, not really. So, uh, for some it has, I mean, yes, as an industry a whole, I don't want to take away from that. Yes. It's slowed down a lot. I mean, interest rates are, are extremely high. They're, they're double what they were a year ago. Um, which has caused a lot of people to lose that ability to own a home because it's just no longer obtainable. Uh, because you know, the difference of, you buying a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house with a three percent interest rate compared to a set percent interest rate, and you're talking four or five hundred dollars more a month. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot, and for a lot of people, that put them out of the window to own a home. Um, so I don't want to take away from that, uh, but there are still it's still an opportunity to take advantage, and this is what you and I were talking about earlier. And I put this on my Instagram story the other day just to try to. It was really, it's not for me trying to be salesy or, or drive sales. It was really just trying to help people put themselves in a different perspective. Six, eight months ago in this market, people were, you know, spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars over asking price because there were so many people trying to buy houses and DFW is constantly growing. So you could put your home on the market, your home within 48 hours could have got 40 offers. You know, that's how crazy it was to where now. And like the craziest thing to me is like sight unseen offers. Oh, yeah. Like that's ridiculous. Like out of state, just found it online. Agent did a walkthrough, video walkthrough or something like that. And people were like, yep, we want it. Let's submit the offer now. Right. And now you fast forward now because interest rates have shot up. A lot of people are like, I don't want to buy right now. Well, when interest rates drop back down, the same problem is going to happen. When interest rates drop back down, people are going to back, come back in and flood the market. There's not going to be enough homes available. People are going to go back to offering all this money over. Are so, you think a lot of people are going to like want to refinance too? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. That, and that's the idea. I mean, you, you get the house now because if you can get a house – right now, houses are sitting on the market a little bit longer, right? Yeah. So you take a house that's sitting on the, on the market 30, 45 days and you've got the seller that's motivated to sell. What, what are they doing? They're reducing the price. price. So now you have an opportunity to get the house at a lower price. Um, I put this on my Instagram. Uh, eight months ago, eight nine months ago, and this, this is just all for example, um, a $500,000 house on the market in DFW area would probably go under contract probably around 550000 That's probably where that house would end up going under contract because they'd have you know 30 multiple offers, over asking, appraisal waivers, you know, people just want the house. Now a five hundred thousand dollar house is going to sit on the market for probably forty five days, and it may get two or three offers. And those offers are probably going to come in. There's a possibility come you know ten twenty thousand dollars under asking price. So now you get a five hundred thousand dollar house for four eighty. Well, five fifty at three percent compared to four eighty at seven percent is a difference of five hundred dollars uh, on the monthly payment. Even if rates are here for a year or two. Right, and I can't remember the math off the top of my head. Even you know, it was about five hundred dollars in twelve months. It was what six thousand dollars. Yeah. Even like getting the house for undervalue. Now, when rates go back, drop back down, you're going to refinance. When the rates drop back down, people are going to flood the market again to try to buy houses. So now your five hundred thousand dollar house that you got at four eighty, now you have an opportunity to refinance and lower your interest rate, or you can put it back on the market. Well, now when you put that house back on the market, now you probably can put it on the market at five fifty, you know, depending or on the area when you, value. When you refinance, can you you can still do like the cash out thing, which I'm not super you, knowledgeable. You can do the cash out, but cash outs. So a cash out on a primary residence, you can only go up to eighty percent loan to value. 
uh, asterisk, uh, you cannot do a cash out on a VA loan in the state of Texas. So <laughs> you would have to transfer out of your VA loan into a conventional loan and you can do a cash out that way. But you're still capped at 80% loan to value minus your payoff. That's how much money you can get. That a cash out will max out all the risk factors you're pulling equity out of the house. So interest rates are going to be a lot higher than what it would have been if you were just buying the house or just refinancing. Refinance. Just It's got a rate term. Just if you want to just reduce your interest rate, um, you're going to get a lot lower rate than if you're trying to do a cash out. But then you have to pay like closing costs and shit again, right? Uh, yes. Asterisk. Lenders are very shady. So a loan officer will tell you, he's like, yeah, you can refi, you can drop your interest rate, save a couple hundred dollars, you know, lower your rate two or three points with no money out of pocket. That's because they roll everything into the loan. Right. So there are closing costs associated with refinance. Uh, I, I hate giving out specifics because there's, there's so many different variables. But it's not as much as if you were I mean, You're probably looking at three or $4,000 probably in the neighborhood between the title fees, oh, recording yeah. fees, and you're, you're going to have to order another appraisal. Um, so, yes, an appraisal or a refinance will cost you money, but they roll it into the loan amount. So when you go to the closing table, you're not coming out of pocket anything. It's all rolled into so the loan. So it would be a lot less than if you were buying it. Yeah, yeah, it time. would be a lot less. And then most of the time what they do is they'll set it up to where like you can close at a certain time of the month. So you don't have to make that mortgage payment. You can skip the next mortgage payment. So on a refi, you know, a, a very classy pitch is skip two monthly payments um, or like, you know, like depending on when you close in the year. Like if it's like, you know, August, September, there's a lot of money sitting in your escrow account because taxes aren't do yet it's been collecting all year like you know we can you'll get the money in your escrow account refunded back to you we help you skip two months so once you start looking at it like uh, you know the ways that it can save you um you know even if the refi costs you three or four thousand dollars a lot of times you can take for example if a refi costs you four thousand dollars but you get to skip two months monthly payments yeah take those two payments put it back towards principal now you're back where you started so just something to kind of look at and i can tell you like if you're anything it, it, I've always felt like, and I'm very, I'm still new to this industry. I've only been in the industry for about, you know, going on six years. Four, five, six percent is actually kind of a healthy economy. You know, twos and threes were unheard of. They were insane. I don't know that we'll ever see them again. I hope that we do. Um, but twos and threes, interest rates is historically low. A healthy economy, four, five, six percent, probably somewhere right around there. If you're starting, if you're still buying houses, because there's still opportunities, there's still great opportunities for a lot of people to buy a house. Like I said, you know, home sitting longer, getting them under asking price, things like that. Um, if you're in these higher rates, rates are not going to stay this high forever. They can't. It's going to eventually slow down inflation so much. It's going to push us right? into a recession. You're going to have to drop rates down to stimulate the economy. We, we kind of seen this happen. It's going to happen again. The question is, that's why I tell all my clients, do not buy this house thinking you can refine six to eight months. I don't know that that's going to be an option. You need to be thinking at least at one to two years because I don't want somebody on house arrest at hating me because it's trying to you know, yeah, keep on to the house. The ship, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I never want to, to present that information. But you have to understand, with the rates, way rates are going, the way that they've shot up so fast in just the last six months, really, they're going to drop back down again. You just don't know when. So if it's still, it still could be a great opportunity for you to take advantage of buying a home um, under market value or even getting like seller concessions, getting money toward your closing costs or to help you buy down the interest rate, which is a lot of stuff that we do with clients now. It still could be a great time for you to buy a house. It's always a great time to buy a house. If you see a house on the market right now in DFW for, you know, 450000 that is the cheapest you'll ever see that house. You know, a year from now, it's going to be worth, it's going to be more than that. Um, so that's why I say, don't get too focused on interest rates. Interest rates are high. Yes, they are. That's usually the very first question people want to ask. But if you really dissect it, you really start looking into it. There's so many other advantages. There's so many other different perspectives you can take a look at it to where like, don't let an interest rate 
keep you from buying a house because there's actually some really great opportunities for people um, to own a home. Owning a home is still always important. Rent is 100% interest regardless. Right. Um, so at least you're in something that you're gaining equity, you're gaining value, you're putting money towards. Yeah, I had such a hard time sending someone $1,700 a month <laughs> to live in like a two-bedroom cardboard box. You're paying their mortgage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And it was, it was just stupid high. And like I was talking to my dad about it. So my dad wants to move to Texas, but he's retired. And let's be honest, Texas is not built for retired people with the way the tax system is set up here. So he wanted to buy a home, but he didn't want I – mean, he was going to buy cash. Yeah. But he didn't want to spend $800 a month on a nice house. Well, spend $800 a month on just property tax on a nice house. He's like, I don't understand what – I'm paying the house cash. There should be no note. And I was like, well, it's not a note. It's how property taxes are. Right. But there's no federal income tax. And he's like, well, that doesn't help me now, state does income. it? State income. Yes, I'm sorry. No state income. income tax. And he's like, well, that doesn't help me now, does it? I don't have a job. I'm retired. <laughs> and I was like, hey, listen, Texas is built for the working man. I don't know what to tell you. So uh, that was one thing he talked about. He's like, well, instead of me spending you know, $800 a month on property tax. Is he from Louisiana? Yeah. So $800 in Louisiana, is $800 taxes would probably be twice as much as what he paid for the year. Well, he has a really nice house. I think he pays, but he has multiple properties too. I think combined throughout everything, he pays about like eleven hundred a year. Yeah, for property taxes. Right, that sounds about right. But so, so in you Louisiana, come to Texas, then you yeah, in Louisiana. So actually, fun fact: I never paid a dollar in in property taxes in the seven years I owned a home in Louisiana. I never paid a dollar. So in Louisiana, your first seventy five thousand dollars is exempt. Wow. So my dad knew the assessor. He assessed the property at twelve five, which is actually what I paid for it. Even though it was worth about thirty, I paid twelve five. That's for some it. people's car. Yeah, yeah. I, I paid twelve five for the property, and it was a shade under an acre and a half on a state highway. Yeah. Um, and then I, my dad bought the house. Uh, we live in a mobile home, so he bought the house, mm -hmm. moved it, and then we did like a I don't know bill of sale for like some know, some stupid amount of money, and then I had a shop on it and everything. So I think this this parish had my property assessed at like twenty five grand. Wow, which I sold it for like I think ninety six, but so I never <laughs> paid I never paid uh, I never paid property tax. So that's what my dad was talking about. And so the argument he had, he's like, well, why spend eight hundred dollars in property taxes? He's like, Keenan, I'll just get a one bedroom apartment. Yeah, I'm like, that's worse. Yeah, it is. That's worse because now you're not getting value. Yeah, none. Right, you have nothing. And then I said, on top of that, you're just. I said, Dad, you're still spending eight hundred dollars. I said, Dad, do you know why? Rent is so high in Texas because they're passing on the obscenely high property taxes onto you. Yep. Like it's it's a pass through. It is. Like that's why rent and leasing is so damn high per square foot. You know, to rent a building for a business is so damn high because property taxes are so high. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I'm like, it's crazy. <laughs> I kind of know some some some. There things, you go. You know, I kind of know some things. But anyway, um, so we talked about that uh, mortgage and stuff. So how, if someone is interested, uh, so you don't do just VA loans. You can do just about any loan. Do you, yeah, do you do anything. rural development, everything as well? Uh, not rural development. That's more of like an investment. That's more commercial style. So uh, okay. uh, yeah, I'm strictly residential. But I mean, yeah, we work with all price points. Um, well, I was talking to a realtor the other day, and they said that the reason why like Forney and Wiley is like really booming mm -hmm. is because I want to say the houses there qualify for RD. Uh, for USDA? Oh, for uh, yeah, yeah. So, so USDA. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them are. I mean, but it's kind of an asterisk um, again because USDA people are like, yeah, I want to go. I want to see if I can go USDA. And, this, you know, the property is eligible. You know, the property being eligible 
for USDA is actually the easiest requirement of a USDA loan. Uh, they actually have you know quite a few other requirements, um, and I I don't want to specific specify some of them just to make sure that it's not a USDA overlay or not a company specific overlay. Meaning, you have USDA requirements for the loan, then specific mortgage companies may have overlays on them. So I don't want to talk too specifically just to make sure I don't give the wrong information. Okay. Uh, but there are a lot, lot of other requirements for USDA loans. I, I want to say that there's, there's income limits. Uh, there's a minimum credit score. Um, there's a, a, a required, you know, debt to income ratio, front side, backside debt to income ratio. So there's a couple of other factors that go, that are involved in a USDA loan. Sometimes it can be very, very difficult. The goal of USDA is it's like, like VA, 100% financing. Um, but we actually have a lot of other programs. Um, if that's what you're concerned with, concerned with a down payment, I'm going to tell you most, I mean, not most, but I have quite a few clients that I put in homes that don't have enough to cover their down payment. This Texas state of Texas has down payment assistance programs, programs that can help them, uh, give them money towards closing that will cover their down payment. Now I'm not telling you, you, know, you you're still going to have to come out of, out of pocket to yeah. you know, money to get into a house. But we are starting to get back into that shift to where you can use a down payment assistance program. And depending on the home, depending on the sellers in the market, you can get seller concession, which is basically the sellers giving you money towards your closing costs. So you take the down payment assistance program, you take seller concessions. And a lot of times you can get into that house for not a whole lot of money out of pocket. I mean, okay. if, if that's what you're on the fence about, um, I would probably encourage you to still make a phone call. I got you. So how, how, uh, if someone in DFW is interested in a home, how do they get in touch with you as far as loan assistant? Uh, so, I mean, my, my cell phone, my, my cell phone is, is attached to me like my hip. That's usually what my, my, what I prefer, you know, is always on me where people are calling or texting. Um, my cell phone number is, uh, 910- Five four six zero two seven three. The nine one zero area code is Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Hell yeah! Yeah, if that tells you anything about me, I've had the same number for twenty one years. That's right. Mine is still three three seven. So, what what company do you work for now? I, I work for Monument Square Mortgage now. We are teamed up with Monument Realty, which uh, you know, Monument Realty is actually one of the top three uh, real estate companies in DFW. Uh, they they do a lot of sponsorship with the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I was proud of them last night. Because the first half of that game, I thought yeah. we were going to get our butts gripped, and they actually found a way to get back in the game. Um, so and right. Saints played amazing. The only reason that like – if you're a Cowboys left. fan and you're cussing me right now because we lost to the Eagles, I 100% get it. You have to understand Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith both played at Alabama. Respect. Um, so I have to, be, uh, have to be proud for my boys but be upset as a Cowboy fan. Either way, um, so they do a lot of sponsorship with the Dallas Cowboys. They do stuff with the Texas Rangers. Um, we get to work with those agents hand-in-hand. Hand, but I, I, I work with about 60-plus different agents, not just Monument. Um, and I can work with – clients anywhere in the state of texas okay cool cool man awesome so guys if you, uh, you're interested if you have any questions about obviously uh home loans or mortgage and all that other fun weird acronyms and all that escrows and all that fun <laughs> stuff uh by all means um get with chuck chuck will definitely uh help you out and i'm sure you can get him in touch with a realtor as well oh 100 yeah. yeah so you gotta love you gotta love the irony in that right a marine Working with numbers, graduate from Alabama. I mean, none of it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, guys, like I said, if you have any questions about the mortgage or home loans or all that fun stuff, definitely hit up Chuck. Um, so, in this next season, so this is technically, I guess, episode one of season two. So, I'm going to start kind of moving the way the podcast is going to work. So, in the first 10 episodes, this is now episode 11. Uh, but in the first 10 episodes, it was mostly about like entrepreneurial journey, uh, my own personal entrepreneurial journey, as well as uh, sort of uh, 
additional people and, and how they run their businesses and things like that. And then the last episode was with Paul, uh, even though he doesn't own a business, he's a manager for a, a car dealership. So we brought him in to talk about sales and stuff. So the way that I really want to bring this next season of the podcast into is I want to really talk more about with veterans and sort of, you know, law enforcement agencies and things like that to sort of divulge different reasons for people making career choices in their in their military career. So like I said, we talked about Chuck and his decision to to pop smoke at 15 years of active duty. He did a few years of the reserves. Now he's, you know, extremely successful doing the mortgage home loan lending thing. I decided I did nine years in the reserves, decided to pop smoke, open my own business. So it's just like I really want to talk to different veterans and and even some active duty guys and, and things and just kind of gauge their decision-making process on what made them choose different career paths, whether it be from the Marine Corps to the Marine Corps, whatever the case may be, right? So uh, the next couple guys we're going to have on is my good friend, um, Chase Turner. He's an active duty recruiter for the Texas National Guard, I believe. Uh, and then we're also going to be bringing in my friend Wesley Lejeune. So both of those are going to be done via Skype. Um, so Wesley is a good friend of mine in Louisiana. And then Chase... I want to say he his recruiting office is in Spring, Texas. So uh, we're going to bring those both those guys on via Skype. So we'll have a nice video uh, a video of that podcast episode. We'll upload that onto YouTube as well as Spotify. And then I also have a couple. I'm trying to bring in a couple of uh, hunting guys as well to start talking about this upcoming upcoming uh, whitetail season. So guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. This is uh, season two, episode one of the Cheap Therapy Podcast. One thing we always, always end our podcast episode with is um, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, okay, which is simply 988. So it's a simple, shortened, three-digit uh, number. And guys, if you're ever experiencing anything, we all face outlandish demons uh, in our lives. Um, you know, I, I, I try not to divulge too much about my personal life, but uh, obviously you guys have been with me for a while. The, you know, I didn't have a podcast episode for the last couple of weeks. I was going through a lot of my personal life and uh, I had to, to face those demons head on. So uh, basically moving forward, I really want to start talking more uh, to guys who, you know, face their demons and, and, and whatnot. So like I said, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is simply 988. You can call that number at any time. There's a consummate professional on the other line. It's open 24 hours a day. You can call it at any time, and there will be someone who can assist you and talk you off that ledge. And guys, if you're ever thinking that taking your life is the answer, I assure you it is not. This world would not be as good of a place as if you were to have left it. The, the world is beautiful. You are beautiful. Uh, and I definitely, definitely uh, want you to stay in it. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Chuck, thank you so much for coming hey, on. Man, yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. All right, guys. Uh, see you soon. And as always, stay groovy.